What's up, fanboys and fangirls? Welcome to episode number 20 of the Fanboys Anonymous Movie Club podcast. This one is for November 2015, and we're going to be talking about James Bond films. A couple different movies, one from each of the James Bond actors. We're going to go down one by one in the order of the movie releases and talk about them, give you some opinions about whether or not we loved them, we hated them, ranking 0 to 10, our favorite stuff, our least favorite stuff, and just all around the board. You should know by now how the movie uh, movie club works. So, without further ado, I'm going to introduce the panel that's going to be talking about it. I am Tony Mango, your host as always, and I'm joined by Alex Grimley. Hello there. And Caroline Oliveira. Hello. So as I mentioned before, 007, I was kind of disappointed that we couldn't do seven movies, but there haven't been seven Bonds unless we counted, you know, like David Niven and shit, and we're not doing that garbage. But we're going to start off with You Only Live Twice, 1967 is when that came out. Sean Connery was the James Bond for that one. The Tomato Meter on Rotten Tomatoes was a 72% for the critics, 69% for the audience score. We had a bunch of different people that are carrying on to the new set of James Bond films. We just went through Spectre, and if you don't know what Spectre is about and you don't want to be spoiled... Sorry, but we're going to talk a little bit about that because Spectre involves Ernst Devereux Blofeld, and Blofeld and the Spectre organization are actually the main villains of You Only Live Twice. So before we start getting into characters, and uh, we're going to break down a lot of different things uh, for each of these Bond films, what do you guys think your first impressions, the first time you ever saw You Only Live Twice? I know Alex has seen it many times before. Caroline, was this the first time you ever seen it? It was. I mean, I... Mm. I feel like it was the first time I've seen the whole thing because I definitely remember being young and knowing who Blofeld was and his cat. So <laughs> maybe it's like the first time that I've seen the whole thing. Well, Blofeld is in all the – well, not all the – he's in, what, six Bond films? Okay, so maybe I didn't see this one. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's something that they parody a lot. Like, okay. if you've seen Austin Powers, they make fun of yeah. Dr. Evil and stuff, and, you know, now that you saw Spectre, now you see, like, the scar and stuff, you know? True. Now, Alex, you've seen this many times before. The first time you watched it was probably around, like, 95 or so, right? Way back there, yep. How does this match up compared to the first time that you watched it? Do you remember? I think I probably like it less now. I don't think it's aged as well as some of the other Connery Bonds. In fact, I think it might be, in my opinion, it's one of his lesser Bonds. You know, I kind of have to agree. I ran into a situation before where I didn't like You Only Live Twice, and then I actually really liked it. This time around when I was watching it, it's just kind of shit. <laughs> it's not that good. <laughs> It surprises me that it has a 69% audience score. It, I don't think it really deserves that much. 
uh, let's start breaking down character wise. Uh, villains is obviously a big thing in the James Bond franchise. We got Mr. Osato. We got Helga Brandt, uh, the discount Fiona Volpe, who's nowhere near as <laughs> sexy. If you are interested in the redheaded people from the Bond series, you want to see a really good looking redheaded uh, villain, watch Thunderball. Definitely. All the way. Uh, I liked, by the way, um, there was a great little part in there where Mr. Osato believes in a healthy chest. <laughs> right. I love that line. <laughs> That's great. Um, and our main villain is Blofeld. Uh, what do you guys think of the villains of this? Do they match up from what a standard Bond film should be, or are they underwhelming? I think um, I'm always puzzled that, that somehow a wealthy businessman gets tied up with uh, international global terrorists. I mean, we, we're going to talk about probably the same thing happening in Man with the Golden Gun. Um, the Mr. Osato character, kind of two-dimensional. Same thing with Helga Brandt. I wish we had seen more of her or gotten into her character. And we really don't meet Blofeld until the very end of the film. That is true. Caroline, what do you think about the villains? Eh! <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I love my villains, you know that. Uh, but this one, uh, I was kind of bored with them. Like, I enjoyed the cat. Does he count like a villain? Because the rest was just... Eh, okay. It almost felt like a cartoon in a way. Mm, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I think it's exactly what Alex said. I think, like, they just felt, like, so two-dimensional. But it just didn't feel... I, I didn't really connect with them. And to me, that's a big deal. Because I like connecting with my villains. I totally agree that there's a little bit more of a cartoonish thing. And some of the other movies we're going to be talking about, too, are even worse at times. And uh, I wrote down a couple of little notes. I mean, I went through here, obviously I had seen these movies before, so I didn't need to watch them like, like a hawk, but I was actually trying to pick apart some extra little things and stuff. And one thing that I had forgotten about since it's been so long since I watched you only live twice, but as soon as it happened, I was just like, Oh my God. I remember thinking that this was weird was Blofeld's line. Kill bond. No, <laughs> it's so bad. Oh God, it's terrible. I think on our list of villains, let's not forget the um in Blofeld's, um, you know, his his indoor pond in the volcano. Yeah, the piranha. Oh yeah. That's like one of those things that they ended up making a, a huge trope about the series, where it was just like the the villain with his secret lair kind of thing. And they have the hollowed out volcano in this one. And it, it's a little over the top. He's got to kill people with piranhas and the, the, the falling <laughs> like the, the bridge. Set, definitely iconic. And Ken Adam, who did the production design in some of these early bonds, you know, I think people go wild for these really elaborate, huge, massive, like you're describing, underground lair sets. One of the most interesting things things for me watching You Only Live Twice this time was um, just some of the, the interiors. Uh, Henderson's, Mr. Henderson's sort of like modish Japanese bungalow, and then um, even Mr. Osato's uh, office. The furniture design, the colors inside. I mean, I know this is kind of an incidental detail, but... There's some beautiful um, images to look at in the film. Well, when they were going through this film, and they obviously they had like a, a big 
style change from some of the other ones because it's primarily set in Japan. And, you know, you take a Bond film in Japan, it's going to look drastically different from a Bond film in, say, like, Russia or something. Right. Do you guys think that it kind of it, it encapsulated that whole uh, that atmosphere? Or was this like that they're on a soundstage and trying to make it look like it's <laughs> Japan? Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. The, the sense of place doesn't come through too strong, except in the music. Which is such a shame because Japan is such it's so rich in culture. I I with other Bond films I feel like I'm in the locations with them and this one exactly what you said. Like I just felt who is <laughs> in the soundstage. Well before we get into music, because I, I definitely want to talk about music here, uh I, I wanna kinda keep up this idea of the the Japanese culture in this because there's mm-hmm. a lot of racism. Yes! Oh my god! <laughs> and it's not only racism, it's also sexism, too. Like, two lines that I had written down that stood out to me. One was, for a European, you are you are exceptionally cultivated. <laughs> <laughs> but then they've got, like, the Japanese people in the movie are, like... Like, Bond gets fucking fake eyebrows and stuff? Yeah... God damn, like, what were they thinking? You could not do this movie now. No, I mean, we got to keep in mind, though, that, I mean, it's almost half a century old, this film, and back then, you know, racism was just okay. That's true, but still, <laughs> you got to imagine when they were doing this that they felt like assholes. <laughs> this was back in the days when racism was okay. They were probably all high, it's okay. <laughs> Well, when it comes to the sexism, too, Bond Girls, big part of the Bond franchise. Uh, we got Aki, Kissy Suzuki, and <laughs> the giant pack of women that bathe Bond and, uh, oh, what's his name? Tiger, um, Tiger... Tiger Tanaka. Tanaka, yeah. And <laughs> there's two lines uh, in that thing specifically. Tiger refers to them as my possessions. Mm-hmm. And he also says what I'm sure is Alex's favorite line of the whole thing, because we used to joke about this all the time. Uh, <laughs> in Japan, men always come first, women come second, which we always used to add, if at all. <laughs> 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 Just making it a terrible sex joke. Um, oh. I love when he picks out the the one girl, and he's like, oh, she is very sexiful. <laughs> terrible. Like, what the hell, man? Yeah, that's a new one for me. Sexiful. Oh, and actually, there's another line, too, that stood out when it comes to how terrible this is when it comes to uh, race and uh, sexism and stuff. Why do Chinese girls taste different from all other girls? (laughs) (laughs) That exchange in the opening um, between Bond and and I don't know who that girl is, the whole thing was kind of strange. She promised to to give him a very best duck. Yeah, he really goes nuts about the duck. It's just like, oh, well, you know, duck is great and whatever like that. I sure hope that I don't get killed. Right. What did you guys think about the death stuff? Was that, like, just necessary or was too awkward? Because it was filmed really weird. Um, Something told me that when he died, I just had this inclination 
that when Bond died within the first 10 minutes of the film, that that wasn't going to be the end of it. And uh, it turned out to be right. You could have fooled me. They do weird stuff in this franchise. We got, uh, they killed Henderson and he came back, back as Blofeld. Yes, that's right. And cross-dressing as well. <laughs> what did you think about the death scene, Caroline? Was that something that took you by surprise that they would quote unquote kill Bond at the very beginning of the movie? really i mean this movie like i said like i felt like it was so much like a cartoon that i just just went with suspension of disbelief and just like went with it i'm like okay i'm not gonna really to really buy anything this movie shows me and just go with the flow i just felt that it was probably some sort of gag or i didn't think it too much of it to be honest what did you think about the duck the duck <laughs> I mean... I gave you very best duck. <laughs> and he's like, hey, thanks, are you the one with the pig face? <laughs> oh. Does anybody think that that doesn't make any sense with Kissy Suzuki? That she looks like a pig? Like, what? <laughs> it wouldn't be at the top of my list, uh, you know, for qualities in a Bond girl. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like Aki better than Kissy, by the way? Definitely. Definitely. So much better. <laughs> Kissy should have been the one that got killed. She pops up in like the last, what, like 10 minutes of the movie? Right. That's so weird. I don't know. I'm, I'm used to like the, the Bond woman actually like mattering more. Yeah, and like like um, Carolyn was also saying, that it's that's kind of a terminal problem in this film. So many of the characters come and go, get killed in one scene, don't get developed. Yeah, you kind of just don't care. Really. I mean, I didn't care. It's just like, okay, next. So theme music is something that we brought up. Uh, Nina Simone sings the main theme. I love yes. You Only Love Twice theme. That's actually what, like, kind of one of my favorite Bond songs. It's not something I can listen to like on repeat constantly, but I think it's just awesome. She's amazing. I don't know shit about her, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely one of my favorite Bond songs. And also one of the better uh, John Barry scores. Doesn't stand out to me. I guess because oh, it's all song. trying so hard to be Japanese. Yeah, well, totally. The 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 uh, music that They had to compensate speech. for the sets. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to say about the John Barry score? Sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah, fine, fine. Uh, the, the music that plays during the outer space sequences, I really like. And then the funeral, uh, the music that plays over Bond's funeral is nice. The Japanese stuff, it wears thin after a while. How does the opening, the opening, by the way, when they're stealing the, the rocket or whatever, boring is all hell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so frustrating uh, to get through. But how does the song go? I can't remember off the top of my head. Do you remember? Uh, uh, well, first, the guy that's in Mission Control in uh, in, in, in the U.S. who says, um, the spaceship is opening up. He returns <laughs> as the submarine captain in Spy Who Loved Me. And he's like, the submarine is opening up. Opening up. <laughs> he has a bad track record than his opening up and swallowing his ship. <laughs> <laughs> 
do you remember how the song goes? Because the one song's pop my mind. I don't remember if it's from this movie or if it's something else, but it's that bum, 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 bum. Was that this right. or Moonraker? That's in Moonraker, yeah. Oh, okay. This one is, um, this one is, uh, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like, ba da da dee da, ba 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 da da. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it does it for like three straight minutes. Yeah, and it goes way slow. Uh, let's talk a little bit about gadgets and action. We got little Nelly is kind of the focal point of the movie. That's the uh, big gadget, you know, this clunky uh, helicopter that can't possibly fa- uh, fly. And for some reason, they're able to start it by just spinning the propeller. <laughs> Stupid as hell. It's one of the most underwhelming action sequences in the entire series. And it's got the 007 theme in the background. That <laughs> I love how musical this is coming <laughs> Copyright claims are going to pop up. <laughs> For completely different songs, because I'm a terrible singer. But Caroline, what did you think about Little Nelly? Was that too over the top? I mean... I didn't think it was, like, too over the top just because I felt like everything else in the movie was, like, Mwah. See, I'm trying to get musical, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess, well, I feel like that that theory, like, contradicts a lot what I'm saying, but it's just kind of like I just needed something, a little bit more energy, and she gave me some of that crazy energy. Hmm. So I didn't mind her in a bad way just because everything else was bland and just not I guess texture enough for me I gotta say one of my least favorite action parts about this whole film is the other uh, one in the air the airplane crash what a ridiculous idea that they just put a wooden (laughs) plank over Bond's hands and like (laughs) Helga Brandt tries to interrogate him and she's just like, you know, like, I'm going to kill you. And he's like, nah, come on, don't kill me. And she's like, all right, well, then, like, how about we fuck? And then he's like, all right, cool. So then they do that. And then it's like they hop on a fucking airplane. And then she's just like, see ya. <laughs> and he's like, I can't get rid of my fucking, uh, this goddamn wooden plank. <laughs> right, it's right. It's terrible. Like, that's so laughably bad. I look up at the what was the other one that I read down here? Oh, the rooftop scene, another action scene where you can flat out see Connery not punching people. No. Well, I mean, that camera angle more than anything, right? Like they could have fixed it if they wanted to. I would have thought that they would have looked back at that scene immediately and been like, "Yeah, we need another take of this because Sean, <laughs> you're not coming anywhere close, man. Help us out." <laughs> You're punching, like, a guy on another rooftop. (laughs) I do like one action scene, though, and it's just for a sound effect. And it's not really an action scene, but it's uh, probably my favorite part of the whole movie. And it's so ridiculous, because everybody's going to be like, this is your favorite part? What the hell? The ninja training sequence. (laughs) When the the one guy, for some reason, is going, (laughs) 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 (laughs)
Out of all the ninja stuff, the first thing that they tell you is to be quiet and sneaky. <laughs> right, stealthy. Totally. He missed that lesson yeah, there. He's just going, no, 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 no. It's awful. <laughs> On a similar note, uh, during the um, sumo wrestling match, the referee speaks in the most exaggerated. Do you remember this? He's like, <laughs> I don't remember that part of it, though. But I don't put it past the, the film to be able to do that. That's the thing. <laughs> One of our big takeaways in this movie is sound effects. Sound effects, yes. <laughs> Our other gadget that we had was actually pretty cool, I thought. It was the cigarette that is, like, an explosive. That was all right. That's classic. I mean, they could have gone crazier, like, another Little Nelly type of thing in the movie, and instead they kept that thing reserved. So, kudos right. to them for doing that. Um, We kind of broke down all the different stuff that I was going to go over like that. Uh, what do you guys think of Connery as Bond in this movie? Is he phoning it in? Hmm. He said in an interview that he didn't like doing this one. Yeah, it shows. Right. He does seem a little bored, but not nearly as bored as in Diamonds Are Forever. <laughs> yeah, well, Diamonds Are Forever. Like, if you can get cheesier and weirder than You Only Live Twice, it's Diamonds Are Forever. <laughs> yeah. But more entertaining. Uh, I don't know. I'd have to rewatch it again. I haven't seen that movie in so long, but I don't remember loving that one. So... Our last thing we want to do to round out You Only Live Twice here, if you have any favorite or least favorite parts that we haven't talked about yet, and what would you rank the movie 0 to 10, 10 being the highest? Caroline, I'm going to go with you first. Anything that we haven't touched on yet? Not really. Like To me, the biggest thing in this movie was I was really bored, and it annoyed me that I just didn't really care about any of the characters. Uh, so with that... I'm gonna give it a um, a three. Alex, uh, my favorite things about the movie are the sets and the music. My least favorite things are everything else. I'd give it a <laughs> three out of ten. I'm gonna go slightly higher and give it a four out of ten, and that's mostly just because I do remember a time where I did like it. So. <laughs> it's not and the, the sound worst Bond effects. film. Yeah, the sound effects are... I mean, the Dahu Dahu guy alone is worth at least, like, two points. <laughs> so, it's a movie that I would recommend to people to watch if you're watching all of the Bond films and stuff. You shouldn't skip any of them, except for maybe the one we're going to talk about next. But, uh... Yikes. It, it, nah, that, that's actually not even necessarily the worst one. Um, it, If you watch a movie like a Doctor No and you like Doctor No, you'll probably like You Only Live Twice... Because I consider Dr. No to be one of the worst ones and one of the hardest to get through, too. So if you like the, the campiness, the cheesiness, and the old Bond style, whatever, it might be your thing. But if you're more along the lines of somebody like myself who appreciates the movies that are kind of like the better structured ones and stuff, You Only Live Twice isn't going to be something that you watch twice. So... That's our first movie down. We've got five more left to go, and we're going to move on in the next part to George Lazenby's film, and only film, On Her Majesty's Secret Service. 
If you are watching this on YouTube, then you got to click on part two. If you're on iTunes and Stitcher, you don't have to do anything, and we will be right back with part two. Continuing on with the Bond films for the November edition of the Movie Club is our second one. George Lazenby's one and only movie on Her Majesty's Secret Service came out in 1969, only two years after You Only Live Twice. They already got rid of Sean Connery. Ended up bringing him back, though, because George Lazenby sucked so bad. And the box office stuff was pretty decent for this, but the reception was poor when it came to Lazenby. And Lazenby had apparently a lot of problems with people. There was uh, something that I wasn't aware of until Alex brought it up to me and I looked into it a little bit more, but uh, the garlic story. You want to fill us in on that a little bit? Oh my gosh. This George Lazenby character was an arrogant son of a bitch. <laughs> Never acted in the movie. Suddenly he's an international you know, film phenomenon playing James Bond. So um, before one of the uh, make-out sequences with Diana Rigg, apparently George Lazenby chewed on some garlic Oh. Yeah, they did not get along, and neither did uh, Lazenby get along with, like, the producers and stuff. He apparently goofed off and broke his shoulder or uh, dislocated it or broke his arm or something. He had some kind of an injury where he was just, like, fucking around on a horse and fell or something, and he was just, like, a real ass, you know? Like, oh. So, before we get into the specifics of the movie itself, um, I, I want to continue on with this George Lazenby thing. And uh, <laughs> when you see the beginning of this movie and you have no context for it at all and whatever like that, if you put your mindset into what the people were in 1969, they've already watched a bunch of movies with Sean Connery. He's the one and only James Bond. There's never been a precedent before to have like a series continue with a different actor. Like now we have recastings for people in like the um, – in Iron Man, they got rid of Terrence Howard and replaced him with Don Cheadle. He's playing the same character, and you're supposed to just ignore it. You've got the Jack Ryan movies, where it's a different person almost every time, and people just are okay with it and stuff. But Bond really started it out, and the first thing that you see is George Lazenby go, Oh, this never happened to the other fella. Huh? Remember that? Remember how I'm not Sean Connery? <laughs> was that a mistake, or was that a good idea to reference that? Is it worth the the, the joke? No. No. I mean, at least not to me. Not at all to me. I think it's so dumb. And that started so much of this nonsense that people do now where it's the James Bond codename fan theory of that they're actually different people and they just get like plastic surgery or they oh, God. Uh, they all get the code name James Bond so they don't use their real name and the same backstory and whatever. Total bullshit. They've made it a point in the movies to point out that that's not true and stuff. So anybody who's listening to this right now, Lazenby is the same person as Connery. You just need to put that aside. So 64% for the audience score on this, which is around the same as You Only Live Twice. And uh, 82% for the tomato meter. So the critics liked it better. And mm. Alex, I know that you like this movie a whole lot. Right. Why? <laughs> I, <laughs> it's, we've already talked about its biggest liability, which is George Lazenby, who basically doesn't know how to act, delivers his lines stiffly, has a very narrow range. Um, but this happens to be one of the more realistic uh, bond plots 
Uh, it's very well written. It's tightly directed and edited uh, by Peter R. Hunt, who had worked as an editor on the um, previous five Bond films. It's got a very memorable music score, uh, beautifully shot in Thalps. Um, uh, you know, it, it, it's a solid Bond film, start to finish, you know? Caroline, I'm going to throw my own opinion out here first because I want you to be the difference maker here. I okay. hate this movie. And it's not even so much that it's my least favorite Bond film. I don't like it, period. I think this movie's garbage in, like, every possible way and stuff like that. So Alex loves it. I hate it. Where do you stand on it? I yes. I have to be honest. I tried watch, watching this movie twice. I fell asleep both times in different parts of the movie. And, oh, my God. The good thing now is that next time I can't sleep, I know what I have to do. <laughs> I just have to watch it or try to or just put it on. Like, I'm sorry, Alex. I love that you're so passionate about this movie. Like, your description actually made me like, huh, maybe I just need to give it another go. But I really tried. Like, oh, God, it was so boring in the beginning with the not only the interesting choices in fashion, but dramatically launching himself in the water. Oh, God, no. Oh, I just, I just felt like I was... I was watching, what is that soap opera called? Like General Hospital, whatever it's <laughs> called. Like, it was just like not my thing. No. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, to be fair, there is a warning on the back of the DVD box that says, this film may be used as a nighttime sleep aid. So, <laughs> it's I know so where you're coming from. Like, I mean... We're going to break down the same kind of similar things we did with You Only Live Twice if you listen to that part. If you haven't, by the way, and you're listening to part two first, go back and watch part one. I don't know what the hell you're doing here. That's not how it works. But uh, one of my big complaints about this movie is how it feels like a cheesy parody of a Bond film. And we just talked about how ridiculous You Only Live Twice is, but this takes it to a different level. We've got the over-the-top megalomaniac villain. His headquarters is in the Alps. You, the scene at the end, with it's supposed to be one of the most powerful scenes in the Bond franchise history, is made laughable because Blofeld's got this stupid uh, neck brace on. Oh. Like... That was for insurance purposes. That was for insurance. He couldn't be seen by the insurance people without the neck brace. <laughs> or he, they'd sue him. This movie's so bad. Like, all right, Blofeld. Let's talk about Blofeld. This is probably my least favorite Blofeld. <laughs> Telly Savalas. All right. First off, the continuity of the movie is all f fucking retarded because they met, they know each other, and I know that the main reason why this is messed up is because a book came first before you only live twice. But still, they didn't figure out a way to get around it. They meet again in this one and act like they don't know each other. Mm. Yeah, it's a little bit of a conundrum there, a logical conundrum. Blofeld and You Only Live Twice got a giant scar across his eye. In this one, not only does he not have that scar, but they make a big point to be like, well, you got like some fucked up earlobes there, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't see how there's a, an argument for Telly Savalas as Blofeld. I... I mean, I, he, he's my favorite Blofeld. He seems <laughs> he's worldly and ur urbane. 
Um, he, he's one of the only Bond villains. A lot, you know, one of the tropes in the Bond films is that the villain tries to seduce Bond's girl. And more often than not, the villain is some hideously deformed, ugly, overweight mutant type. Um, like Carl Stromberg in Spy Who Loved Me. Or even Donald Pleasance, only twice. But Telly Savalas is one of the only Bond villains. You can actually imagine him putting the moves on Diana Rigg. He's got that velvety deep voice, that glistening <laughs> bald head. Those fucked up earlobes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, I buy Sean Bean, and we'll get to that with Goldeneye. But Telly Savalas is just weird. And, like, I-, I look at this as, like, if you took elements from a bunch of Bond films and did it like the parody version, like Blofeld, I, my favorite Blofeld, I actually really like Christoph Waltz's. I might have to watch it another couple of times to see where he ranks, but my favorite is the one from, from Russia with Love. Maybe from Thunderball too, because they're, they're basically the same, but I like the Blofeld that just seems menacing. This Blofeld seems jokey. And I liked Rosa Klebb in From Russia With Love. And Irma Bunt's, like, the discount Rosa Klebb. Yeah, she's a bargain bin Rosa Klebb, for sure. We should we should make clear that the, the Blofeld you're saying you like in From Russia With Love and Thunderball is not an actor. He's mm-hmm. never seen on screen. Exactly. He's an arm. <laughs> an arm and a cat. Yeah. Aww. But he's so much more intimidating. I mean, once the cloak had come off and we had seen Blofeld and You Only Live Twice, I think they're, you know, they're humanizing him. They're showing, you know, he talks about um, enjoying watching the sunrise. You know, we're getting to know Blofeld. We're sitting next to him on that posh couch he has in his, uh, in his sw- you know, Swiss restaurant up there. We're getting to know Blofeld. He's not menacing so much as he is, um, you know, I mean... <laughs> His his goal in the film is just to get recognition of his noble title. <laughs> what the plot okay, of this but movie... I just want to kind of argue that because you can definitely have a villain who is pure evil and menacing, but you still really, really care for them as as if they're maybe that's just me. But whenever I watch something like Silence of the Lambs, yes, Hannibal Lecter is scary. You don't want to be around him. I mean, close to him because he might eat you. But you still care for him. You still you don't want him to get hurt in the way that he dies. And like I felt bad when Hannibal when he got his hand cut, for instance. Like I, even though he's a he's a cannibal, so I just feel like, nah. I feel like yes, you can enjoy the sunset as much as you want, but you can still be a very mean son of a bitch and show that. <laughs> Fair enough. So, any thoughts on Irma Bunt? Uh, she sounds like she hardly knows English. <laughs> <laughs> My only note that I wrote down for her is uh, this is a direct quote of what I wrote down. I'm just going to read it. Purpose is to have boring exposition scenes that ramble on and still don't really say all that much. And that's a recurring thing about this movie. One of my least favorite parts is that there are just countless scenes that are just, like, dragging on and on and on. And by the end of it, like, ten minutes goes by, and I feel like it's been an hour, and I realize that nothing was accomplished. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's definitely slowly paced. Um, It's more sort of operatic than some of the other Bond films. It was the longest Bond film 
uh, all the way up until I think Casino Royale mm-hmm. at two hours and 19 minutes. I mean, it takes its time, uh, you know, elaborating the plot. And also, you know, keep in mind, I mean, the marriage story is not handled lightly. I mean, it, it does come off now melodramatic, and I have a theory about that we can get into later. But there are almost two different stories going on, and, and the film gives both of them equal time and equal weight. Um, so it unfolds slowly, but, you know, there's there's some re- there's a reason for it. There's uh, It's a main aspect of, you know, the character, that he gets married, he falls in love this one time. <laughs> this one time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> What's your theory about the the love thing that you were talking about? Oh no, the theory about why you know why the film doesn't come off as well as it ought to. It's the weightiest um, sort of Bond plot, you know. The most until about like again until some of the Brosnan films that add depth to the character. This was the most sort of up close and personal we got with Bond, and it's just coincidental that they happen to have the worst, most wooden Bond actor in the whole series. It was almost like they misplayed their hand with this one. They had one of the better scripts and one of the worst actors. And so it's a kind of balancing act. Um, you know, the film sinks in certain parts, but the script, the plot holds it up, I think, a little bit. So when I look at the Bond girls and the whole spectrum of the whole series and stuff like that, obviously there's no way you can mention them without mentioning Tracy and stuff. But. Tracy is somebody who I'm not that fond of, and it's not so much Diana Rigg, and it's not even so much her lack of a chemistry with Lazenby or something like that, but I don't really love her character all that much. I do like a couple parts, so I'm not going to shit on every single thing about this movie. <laughs> um, I like how she admits, she says, Teresa was a saint, I'm Tracy. Uh, I... I like the one scene, actually, probably my favorite part of the movie, if not my second favorite part, is how she forces Draco to tell Bond the information that he wants, and she's doing it to make sure that Bond's actually interested in her if he's just using her to get the information. I was like, all right, that's pretty smart. So what's up with this relationship? She's mad, Bond slaps her, and then she's okay with it, and then she's just sort of like, well, you know, I love you. And he's like, oh, I love you too. Like, how is this justified? What the hell's going on here? <laughs> All we get in terms of exp- uh, the explanation is a montage with a love song. And it's terrible. Yeah. Oh, and well, we get a little bit of an explanation when it comes to Draco saying, and this is, again, the time period, what she needs is a man to dominate her, to make her make love to her enough to make her love him. Oh, God. Like, Jesus, <laughs> God, man, like... And the, no. the whole subplot just gets dropped midway through and focuses on stuff like the shuffleboard and curling and whatever. And it's like that time period you could have been used to actually build up like any actual chemistry between the two. I don't see it at all. I think that it comes the, it comes down to the fact that maybe they're just not good actors. And since they had so many issues on set, as you guys were saying, Maybe they just couldn't get past that, and <laughs> what we got in the movie was the best that they could do. I wouldn't put it past them. Alex, do you have anything that could like argue in favor of this? Did you try to save this uh, this love story? <laughs> uh, I think you put your finger on it when you say it, it, it's just kind of unbelievable that a simple slap across the face would suddenly make this this woman who's supposed to be a really fierce and independent type character 
suddenly fall for Bond. It, it, it's not believable. And it's it also it's weird that Bond gets married in this, but it's you know it's fine that Bond gets married. That's you know it's a an important thing going forward, and it's something that they reference in a lot of the Bond films, and I love it when they do it too. Like in um, Free Your Eyes Only, he's checking out her grave. In The Spy Who Loved Me, there's a great part where Anya is like they're doing a little like tit for tat. Like he knows a bunch of stuff about her, and she goes like, "Well, you know, I know a lot about you. I know that you were married once." And he's like, "That's enough." I love when we're going to get to it in License to Kill. There's a reference to that. Even in The World's Not Enough, which, by the way, World's Not Enough gets his name gets its name from this movie. That's the Bond crest. Uh, there's a little scene where she says something. Uh, Electra says, have you ever lost anybody and whatever? And Bond just kind of looks off to the side and just goes like, all right, let's change this conversation kind of a thing. So I like how they built this in, but I just feel like it's like, Man, the the weight of her death at the end means so much more than anything that actually happens with their relationship. <laughs> like, I'd feel it so much more if I felt like they actually cared for each other. And Lazenby's reaction to her death isn't quite convincing either. No, it's, uh, it's all right. It's all right. <laughs> no, it's fine. We were going to go kill ourselves. <laughs> so, another weird thing when it comes to the women in this, uh, all the Bond girls in Blofeld's place. In particular, the annoying one, Ruby Bartlett, the annoying girl with the glasses. If it's not weird enough that we've got a new Bond and that they're marrying him off and whatever like that, he pretends to be gay. <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys think about that? Cause not that there's anything wrong with, you know, any... <laughs> They could have, I mean, they had Mr. Went and Mr. Kid, and it was like, you know, whatever. And if there were gay characters in the Bond series, you know, I wouldn't give a shit or whatever like that, but it's like, it's, uh, I, uh, as far as I know, it's the only time the Bond's ever acted gay. And it's just, it's weird as all hell. And they they sort of brush it off as like, wouldn't it be funny if Bond acted gay? But no, 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 he's, he's, a, he's a man. Like that kind of thing. <laughs> Again, it's, you know, 1969, of course, they're going to ask Right. Like Everybody was a little gay back then. <laughs> <laughs> I do love one line, though. They say, is there anything wrong? And he goes, uh, just a slight stiffness coming on. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's but, funny. I All the times I watch this film, I never put it together that he was acting gay. And then I watched it with my girlfriend, and she pointed it out. And then, Tony, you pointed it out, and I... It never occurred to me. Really? I All mean, these years? Yeah. I mean, I a terrible gator then. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. I need new batteries for it. <laughs> Did that strike you as odd, Caroline? The whole pretending to be gay thing? Not really. I kind of wanted to like it more. I was like, oh, please, let this be sexy. But no. He was... runs off with uh, Blofeld instead of Tracy. <laughs> now that yeah. would be... With his glistening head. Robo fell in the water and yeah. <laughs> He's like, I really like your name, Blofeld. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> this never happened to the other fella. <laughs> theme music is something we should talk about. This is the only Bond theme other than technically Dr. No that doesn't have any lyrics to it. Oh yeah, that's true. I mean, I I haven't seen all of them, obviously, but huh. <laughs> so we went a little sing-songy, and you only live twice. Anybody have any ideas of what they would pitch for on Her Majesty's Secret Service being sang? <laughs> oh God, I'm <laughs> not even gonna try. 
Go, Alex, go! <laughs> On her majesty's <laughs> I love the main theme, though. I think it's great. It's one of my favorite, like, just uh, instrumental type of things that they've got out there. And they did a, a little variation of it for the trailers for Spectre, and that kind of made me mark out a little bit. Any Definitely. thoughts on that, Alex? Definitely. This is probably my favorite John Barry, uh, James Bond score. Super memorable, beautiful, hummable, really memorable electric guitar that we get. Or there's like an electric bass, like a funky James Bond theme in the opening uh, pre-title sequence. Um, it's a very memorable. There's some lame songs. There's some Christmas songs, regrettable oh. Christmas songs. Yeah, but we're going to score. Excellent. We have to talk about this because there's two other main songs in this. It's We have All the Time in the World, which is kind of the main theme of this. And that's, you know, the love theme and whatever like that. And do you know how Christmas trees are grown? Fucking terrible. (laughs) That is the worst part of maybe any Bond movie ever is that freaking song. (laughs) And it plays so long in this. It does not shut up and I can't stand it like it's ear grating. It's so goddamn terrible. I hate it so much. They deserve to uh, I don't know. I hate it. I hate it so much. I will say this though. We have all the time in the world is a pretty decent song. Although I think it feels weird in the score. And You were talking about John Barry's score. You don't think that that comes off a little bit odd? Um, like It doesn't feel like a Bond movie to me. No, definitely. The way those sequences are shot, uh, in other words, when it appears in the montage, you mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's like little flutterings here and there and stuff. I mean, Barry handles it, I think, pretty well, takes the melody out of it, orchestrates it. But when the Louis Armstrong version appears in the uh, montage, it definitely feels like Carolyn was saying, like a soap opera or something. The way the Mm -hmm. scenes are shot, glowing in light, it's really cheesy. What do you think about the Christmas tree song, Caroline? Oh, man. I have, like, faint memories over it. I don't like Christmas music as is. So, to me, it was just like, oh, I'll go back to sleep now. <laughs> Does anyone, did anyone catch, I mean, how are Christmas trees grown? I think that's how they say it. <laughs> <laughs> So I want to point out a couple of little random things when it comes to, like, gadgety action kind of stuff. I don't have a whole lot of notes for that. I don't know if anybody else does, but... Uh, too silly. The bobsled thing. Come on. Yeah. Well, I mean, there was, you know, it was a bobsled chase. <laughs> it was terrible. But, and that's, you know, like, how you're supposed to assume that Blofeld is, like, taken out of the picture? They're, listen, they're up in the Alps. They got a lot of time to kill. They play some winter sports. Uh, if I wanted to watch bobsledding, I would watch Cool Runnings. <laughs> I think this film was the inspiration for Cool Runnings. <laughs> well, here's another gripe I have about this movie. Since everything is in the snow for so long, it's just like this bland one-note scenery, and I can't tell the difference between some of the action sequences. Like, does that scene with the... Uh, he had a lot of guts. Was that before or after the... Uh, scene with the the shed i think it's before there's some you know like uh wild coincidences that happen in the action in the action scenes that 
Bond meets up with Tracy, who's suddenly in the Swiss Alps mm-hmm. after she's been disappeared for 35 minutes. Oh, then you could get the, the best action scene of the whole movie, where Bond sits and reads Playboy. <laughs> that, that's a very tense scene. Now, I know you know the, the the song that plays in this one. How did that one go? Yeah, okay, so we're talking about Gumbolt's Safe Break. Uh, that song wasn't included on the original score, came out on the Bond back in action uh, CDs in the 90s. It goes, it goes, um, it goes, uh, it goes, it goes, uh, ba 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 da da ba 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 da 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 For like six minutes straight. Yeah. It's unbearable, man. I don't know how you can listen to that stuff after a while. <laughs> So we're going to pass this around again like we did with uh, You Only Live Twice. Some of the things we haven't talked about, favorite, least favorite stuff, and a 0 to 10 ranking on here. Caroline, I'm going to start with you. you (laughs) I'll give it a 1 just because he put me to sleep. And that could be a good thing. So that's why he has a 1. That could be a bad thing because I wanted to watch it and really figure out why... Alex loved this movie so much and <laughs> just couldn't do it. One. <laughs> Alex, are you going to give it like a nine or something? <laughs> I actually fell asleep uh, on this Good. last viewing as well. So. Good. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, but uh, favorite things about it, the John Barry score, super memorable. Uh, some of Bond's outfits, the orange turtleneck with the brown suede jacket, amazing. Um, the set design, again, very beautiful. Love all the putrid, rotting orange colors, greens and yellows in, in Blofeld's uh, Swiss castle there. Um, I give it a, give it a uh, 7.5 out of 10. Oh, wow. I'm going to be generous by giving it a 2. <laughs> <laughs> My least favorite part is definitely that love montage. It's just so out of place. And my favorite part of the whole movie is something that I'm sure most people wouldn't pay any attention to, wouldn't care whatsoever. It's not as crazy as the Dahu Dahu thing, but I like how at the wedding, Bond throws his hat to Moneypenny. Just a nice little thing of like, we had that little relationship kind of going, you're special to me, and you know, that's it. Because I like Bond and Money Penny. I don't think that they should like get together at the end, kind of a thing. But mm-hmm. it's a nice acknowledgement that there's like something there. Especially better that he has her as like a backup option because you know Trace dies <laughs> ten minutes later. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it for number two. We got number three coming up: Roger Moore's movie, The Man with the Golden Gun. As I said before, iTunes and Stitcher people, you don't got to do a damn thing. But the YouTube people, unfortunately, you got to click away. And we'll see you there in part three of six. Third up on our list is Roger Moore's movie, The Man with the Golden Gun, came out in 1974. And for those who don't know the Rotten Tomatoes scores, this one's a little bit lower. 45% for the tomato meter, the critic side of things, and 57 for the audience score. I'm flat out going to say it right now, though. Out of the three movies that we've already talked about so far... Man with the Golden Gun is so much more entertaining, and I yes, love this movie. Yes, thank you. You know, this is one of those movies I I liked a lot when I first got into the Bond series, and I I fully acknowledge it is ridiculous in some ways. But rewatching it this time, I rewatched them in order, and uh, You Only Live Twice, I was hoping I would like it more. Didn't like it as much as I did before. 
on Her Majesty's Secret Service, I was really hoping that there was something that I would have been missing out on before and I would grow to appreciate it. Still hate the movie. Man with the Golden Gun, I was worried that I wasn't going to like it. I still like this movie. It's ridiculous, but it's fun. And I know that Alex isn't the biggest fan of it, so Alex, hit me with your uh, your opinion <laughs> overall, your first impressions of this movie. I definitely agree with you. It's a super entertaining film. Uh, Christopher Lee is one of the most memorable of all Bond villains. I can't get past J.R. Pepper vacationing in Thailand. <laughs> That's the worst part. <laughs> These I, Democrats, Maybell. <laughs> I can suspend my disbelief, um, but that tests it for me. Also, the flying car. Um, mm. This kind of—I mean, if we were going to describe *You Only Live Twice* as cartoony, this is the film that really begins the sort of Roger Moore's downward spiral into ridiculousness. And it's so weird because half of it is so serious. The other half is utter nonsense. <laughs> it's true. It starts off as a gripping thriller, you know, even with a psychological element. Mm-hmm. And then you start getting into, uh, well, well, we'll get into that, actually. <laughs> Caroline, what was your first impression? Because this is the first time you've ever seen Man with the Golden Gun, right? Yes. Uh, first impression was I was so excited to see Christopher Lee, so young, waving around his gun. Uh, and he's not even young in this either. He's still like sixty in it or something. <laughs> he's so young to me because I'm so used to seeing Christopher Lee as hundred and five. You know, yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a fun movie. Sometimes I felt like I was even watching like Austin Powers a little bit just because <laughs> it was just so out there. But I definitely yes. enjoyed it. <laughs> It's a, it is totally out there. This is one of the most out there Bond films. From the crazy fun house that opens it, the flying car at the end of it. The flying car is awesome. <laughs> there are so many notes here. I'm going to try to breeze through my own stuff to get you guys to talk about and mess up. But let's talk about J.W. Pepper. More specifically, let's talk about the elephants. How much would you pay for one of those elephants? I would not pay... 60 baht. Would you, in any circumstance, pay 20,000 baht? I mean, that's far too many baht for me. <laughs> <laughs> I love that little kid. It's so stupid. 20,000 baht! <laughs> what, what did you think about that scene, Carol? <laughs> Aw, it was kind of cute. <laughs> pretty lady, pretty lady. <laughs> Oh, maybe it made me think of Brazil. That's <laughs> 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 so wrong. Oh man, I'm gonna get so much hate from this. Well, I fully agree with you, Alex. J.W. Pepper is absolutely fucking ridiculous in this, and completely unnecessary. I mean, they were clearly trying to just make him like the new Felix Leiter. You know, if well, let's try to throw out like a more comedic person, have him the sidekick kind of a thing. If you would have taken him out, I think it's kind of in the same boat as if you were to take Jar Jar Binks out of the Phantom Menace. You would have a definitely have a different movie, and it would make a huge difference. He is one of the most fun people to quote, though. And I mean, we talk about the racism and stuff like that at some of the other movies and stuff. Like, that guy's not holding <laughs> anything back. You pony heads. Right. 
I mean, who, who, with, you know, with what audiences did he test well? <laughs> How did it go through numerous, you know, drafts of a script? They bring him back. They enter into contract negotiations. He's got all this leverage. You know, they want him back. They're going to give him millions of dollars to be in this. How did this happen? How did this get through so many otherwise sensible minds? It had to be the South. Had to be. <laughs> I mean, they flat out say in this one, I gotta get me one of them cute little elephants. Well, these Democrats. <laughs> and it's just all, you know, I never oh, thought oh, of oh, your ass. <laughs> it had to have been that. It had to have been just like, well, Bond is so snooty and upper class. Let's get this real working class southern Louisiana type of guy, you know. Like, peace officer. He's a peace officer. Yeah, peace officer. He's terrible. But he's not only, like, the only weird thing that happens in this. We have uh, one of the little sidekick kind of people of them. Not not necessarily the little one. We'll talk about him in a minute. Um, but one of Bond's allies is Hip. And he, on his own, is fine. Although, uh, I argue he should have died. I think that he should have been killed at some point. <laughs> Just you because... Feel- <laughs> yeah, he deserved it. Well, see, one of those things in these Bond films that I think is something that should carry over to almost every one of them is that there should be somebody on the ally side that gets killed. And uh, we've got, like, you only live twice, they kill Aki. And in, say, like, um, you know, you go with, like, Goldfinger. Uh, they make a point to, like, kill some of the, the villains and stuff to make it seem like, well, even the villain sidekicks can get killed off and whatever. We'll talk about License to Kill. I mean, that's, like, <laughs> a bunch of people get killed in that one and stuff. I think Hip being killed could have been a good scene to be, like, to up the ante. But they wouldn't have killed him off if they had introduced these stupid characters of his nieces. What was up with the nieces? Again, a totally insane decision that you wonder how it got past these people. Um, they're basically there to fill up space to to I don't know I don't know if it's being played for a laugh or oh, what definitely. I'm supposed to think of it. The music even uh, points out that it's a laugh because it changes and it's just that do 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 yeah that's true. Like they pick up the watermelon and hit the guy over the head with it. It was just like you take out the nieces, you kill hip. Take out J.W. Pepper. And Hip's not even really that good either. He ditches Bond. Yeah, that's why I was going to say, I mean, you could kill him, but would it really make any difference? I mean, he's basically like a paper doll in the film. You don't get to know him at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, speaking of the music that goes to different scenes, what do you think about that? I love I love the music in this one. Apparently, uh, a lot of people hate it. I think it's fantastic. I We talked about the droning kind of things from some of the other things. Even though it's a little bit droning, the song that plays when Hip is taking Bond to CM, that like bum bum bum, ba da 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 bum bum dum. Right. I love that music, and it goes into that bang dung 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 kind of thing. That's so much better than the kind of stuff that's in like you only love twice, where it's just kind of like, all right, why don't we play chopsticks? <laughs> <laughs> The score is it, it is it is pretty good. The song, on the other hand, the title song, mm. leaves me wanting a little more. Uh, it's not the strongest Bond theme. Yeah, that's true. I, I'd like to uh, recite some of the lyrics if I could here. <laughs> Please do. Yeah, he's got a powerful weapon. He's got a powerful gun. <laughs> <Stop> <laughs> if you want to get rid of someone, 
the man with the golden gun. We'll get it done. I knew that you were going to bring up this line because we've been joking about this line for 20 years now. (laughs) (laughs) That uh, it's one of the things that it, it, all right, like man with the golden gun is not, not a great bond theme, but it's something that I don't mind listening to. And if I do listen to it, the fact that we've joked about this so much, I picture the lyrics in my mind of being, he's got a powerful weapon, he's got a powerful gun. <laughs> but the real <laughs> lyrics are actually pretty decent for that part. And I specifically wrote that down so I could give it credit. <laughs> I love the line, an assassin that's second to none, the man with the golden gun. That's good. <laughs> Some of the other stuff's really kind of bad, you know. Uh, like, uh, who, who shall he bang? Who will he bang? <laughs> We shall see. Uh, what's the part where she says something about um, crouched on a rooftop somewhere? And she says it like really fast because she can't get it all in. It's like, crouch on a rooftop somewhere. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's all better than that alternative song that Alice Cooper tried to do. That one's terrible. I don't uh, know that one. It's just anybody who's listening to this, go listen to the Alice Cooper one at the end of this one and you'll see what I mean. It, it's really bad. I don't even remember how it goes because I had listened to it recently and it's that bad that I forgot about it. But I will bring up that the the Man with the Golden Gun theme, as weird as it is, it works really well in the score. It's very, Definitely. like... Yeah. I agree. Like, it's very calm and stuff, but it can also be a little bit imposing. Like, there's that one shot where Scaramanga is putting the gun up to uh, Andrea's mouth and it's playing in oh the background. Oh, my God. What's the oh my god for? Was it like oh my god, this is awesome? Or oh my god? No, it's just like when I was watching that scene, all I could think about was, and I already mentioned this in another podcast, but I had this teacher in college who everything in a horror movie was about black dicks, and all I could think about in this movie was that the gun was actually an analogy to his penis. So he's like shooting people with it. He's like showing his gun off. He's making right. it longer. He's making it shorter. He's putting it on her face. Like that was all I could think about. <laughs> so that Definitely. was why I said, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And the lyrics of the song totally back you up. And <laughs> he's got a powerful weapon. <laughs> <laughs> but wait golden. a second. How did the black dicks play a role in this? Oh, no, it's just because he reminded me of my, my instructor. Everything about horror movies was black dicks, like everything. And, and then when I saw this movie, I was like, oh, my God, I'm turning into him. It's about gold dicks. It's about gold golden dicks. dicks. Golden the man with dicks the golden gold dicks. showers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll stop. <laughs> well, they do say that, I mean, he's got that third nipple, which is going to be a sign of oh great God, sexual then... prowess. Yeah. Oh, this, this is ridiculous. <laughs> like, from top to bottom of this film. Yeah. That, that third nipple <laughs> thing was totally unnecessary. <laughs> it's so dumb. It looked like gum, like, stuck in his chest. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> Another weird thing about this, though, I want to get back to Scaramanga a little bit later, but I want to keep this uh, on the topic of stupid things. Uh, <laughs> high Fat. Really, his name is High Fat. <laughs> uh, a bit of trivia about that. Apparently, in an early draft of the script, he was a, he had a twin brother. I'm not making this up. Had a twin brother named Low Fat. Aww. 
Well, see, then they wanted to change it up, and they were like, well, maybe he won't be his twin brother. Maybe they'll be just partners, and he can be low-cal. I think they went with low-main. <laughs> well, the janitor in the background, a uh, little-known fact, he's actually low-maintenance. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Uh, a weird, stupid thing in High Fat's situation. The statue scene. That was ridiculous. Where they, they come alive? Yeah, they, that was clearly some kind of like writer's room note where they're like, wouldn't it be funny in a Bond film if statues came alive and tried to kill them? They're and all it high. turns out it's not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, they tried it, it turns out. Incidentally, um, with Man with the Golden Gun, uh, the sumo wrestling scene. We've watched every Bond film featuring a sumo wrestling scene. Well, because there's only the two of them? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, for a second, like, oh my god, maybe I fell asleep in more movies. <laughs> right, I was sitting there going, I don't remember is that this. More? In, you know, I don't remember this in Casino Royale. <laughs> <laughs> sumo wrestling scene in Skyfall, remember? Remember? Oh, sumo Royale awesome. is what we were watching, right? What do you guys think about Knick Knack? Um, they never explain why he has a French accent. It's just because the actor does. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like, did, you know, do you think the casting director was like, well, we need a guy who's three foot six, but he's got to have a French accent, too. <laughs> so they had to have seen him in Fantasy Island and just were like, this this guy's got to be in here. Yeah. Right away, Miss Yell Scalmunga. If you kill him. Or this be mine. Ha ha, I fooled you. <laughs> I love the peanut scene. He's eating the little peanuts. Yeah. He's got the I tiny mean, little gun. Like it <laughs> just reminds me of Mini Me, like Austin Powers. I just can't. I, I love it. But it's just, it's so. I don't want to say bizarre, because that's <laughs> not the word that I'm looking for. It's It's over the top. But God bless him. I, I like him there. How stupid, though, is that end fight? Like, the movie has this good climax of a situation, and then they just go to the boat, and it suddenly knick-knack is chucking bottles of wine or something. Yeah, I don't know what kind of damage he thought he was going to do. And in terms <laughs> of Bond putting him in a suitcase, I understand that it would have been kind of like cold-blooded or whatever bad PR if Bond had killed a little person, you know? But I think it's more humiliating to pack him into a suitcase. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I mean, let's just consider the fact that we have a guy waving around a golden penis in this movie. I feel like they don't care. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> and I, I mean, in the past, we had... Sean Connery slapping bitches around and racism everywhere. So it's just kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, let, let's just stuff a little person in the suitcase. Right. I have a theory about Knick Knack, and I'm almost 100% positive that this is just total truth. So if it's not, I would be utterly shocked. Anybody who's played the GoldenEye video game for N64, not the remake, fuck that thing, <laughs> Odd Job is in there, and he's for some reason the shortest character. But Odd Job himself is not short. I think that these people got confused between Nick Knack and Odd Job. Interesting. Hmm, maybe they look somewhat similar. I mean, clearly Nick Knack looks more like Odd Job than Jaws. 
they're both wearing the tuxes and that kind of a thing. I think that that's what ended up creating that issue. So that's where the no odd job rule comes from. Knickknack. Any thoughts on Lazar and that crotch shot? It's too low. <laughs> oh, I'm glad I'm not the only one that noticed that. <laughs> and I'm glad I'm not the one that brought it up. <laughs> I thought that that was funny, but I actually, the, a note that I have written down before that, which I thought was even funnier than uh, than anything with like Lazar itself, is just... When he's trying to figure out if that's Lazar's place, and he talks to a woman and her kids, I'm assuming, he's just kind of like, Lazar! And they're just staring at him, whatever, like that. And then it's like, oh, okay, he's in the back or whatever. They go back to eating their noodles, and they do it super quick. It's like, yeah, but <laughs> it once, too. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, a, it's, very, it's very strange. I noticed that. <laughs> they all stop eating at the same time. And then when they start eating again, they all start eating at the same time. And just chowing down. Like, those noodles must be awesome. <laughs> I think Maybe it was low main. <laughs> there was Lo the low main guy. One more just unusual thing. Is this the only film where Bond swallows a really important piece of evidence? And then has to shit it out and have it <laughs> Oh, God. The nearest pharmacy. Oh, you wouldn't believe the trip it took to get here. <laughs> Pretty sure it is. I don't remember him shitting out anything in, like, Octopussy. <laughs> Even though it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> He's, like, inside the alligator. Taking <laughs> shit. Right. Roger Moore had become incontinent at the time anyway. <laughs> So I'm going to bounce back to Scaramanga here. I think he's one of the best Bond villains. And if not, just for one of his lines in the movie, one of my favorite lines in the whole thing, ours is the loneliest profession. That's deep, man. Mm -hmm. Like, Scaramanga, he's going to kill Bond now. And uh, he could easily just shoot him. And he could have shot him at the Bottoms Up Club, which I thought was hilarious. Or on the island or anything like that. But the fact that he says it's a lonely profession and he wants to, like, I get the impression, and I don't know if they really wanted to go this far with it or whatever, but it's almost like he wants to be buddies. Could be. He's a Bond fanboy. He definitely, when Bond first comes to the island, Christopher Lee, almost giddy to see him. Mm Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, we're going to make you mushrooms and stuff, and let me show you my plan. And this is, isn't this gun awesome, dude? Like, he's he's <laughs> trying to get his validation, you know? I like that about it. It's something different. This is like a cold hearted assassin that has this, like, ridiculous uh, credentials to him and stuff like that. And yet, with Bond, he's just sort of like, dude, totally broing it up. <laughs> Nobody wants to be lonely. Oh, well, he has his knickknack and the dude with the well. mustache. <laughs> the black dude with the mustache, you mean? Yeah, the one who has no line other than ah. <laughs> yeah, I made two notes about the man with the golden gun, and that was one of them. Um, the creepy black guy who's always checking out. Good night. Yeah, <laughs> I don't blame him. Yeah, but I mean, it's a weird, like, he's a weird presence, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This menacing, hulking, silent figure that just checks out the lady until he dies. You think he was written in there for her to kill him? So she didn't look like, like a total idiot bimbo the entire time? Yeah, and uh hardly worked. 
Yeah. Even she says that she's weak when she has sex with Bond. She's like, well, you know, whenever are you going to get together? And he's just like, whenever. And then she's like, all right. <laughs> Carolyn, what did you think about Mary Goodnight? Uh, just kind of what I feel, uh, what I think about most of the Bond girls. Just, just pretty. Who's better, her or Chew Me? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I love that name. Yeah, I'll give her extra points for her name. Um, bye bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. I think <laughs> bye. <Bye-bye>. Uh... <laughs> we have two... had better lines. She may have better lines. <laughs> <laughs> We do have two other women that stood out to me. The belly dancer, uh, I've lost my charm, not from where I'm standing. I love that. It's such a Bond thing for a woman to have a bullet from a dead double O agent in her stomach. I love that. Belly yeah, dancer herself cool. I'm not a big fan of, but I love the idea that, like, double O two, poor Bill, gets shot, and she goes like, oh, I want to put this bullet in my belly button. It's my lucky charm, like... <laughs> I would yeah. do that. The belly dancer sort of has a MILF vibe going on. <laughs> if anything. Alex, did you ever read The Man with the Golden Gun? No, I didn't. And it, it the original novel has a storied past. I mean, I think it was left uncompleted when Fleming died. Um, somebody finished it on his behalf, and they tried to cover it up as if it had been finished. Um, but it's sort of an outlier among the uh, uh, Fleming's original Bond novels. I don't think I have any more notes about the belly dancer, but I do have quite a bit of notes about Andrea Anders. Alex, you had sent me a message. You said that you weren't really that into her. Nah. I am the total opposite spectrum. I think she's beautiful. I love her character in a lot of different ways because she's that standard uh, girlfriend of the villain. And as I mentioned before, uh, that I thought that Hip should have been killed, she gets killed. Uh It's a good way to show that Scaramanga is willing to just kill anybody kind of a thing, even her. And he's so proud about it, too. I love that. It's just like, well, it was a difficult shot, but, you know, most rewarding or whatever he says. uh, But my favorite part of this entire movie, without a doubt is the shower scene and the stuff that follows it. The musical cue in that alone is amazing. I love that. It's so eerie. And it's weird to see Roger Moore act like Sean Connery, kind of. Connery is, you know, this real abusive asshole Bond. Uh And in this part, Roger Moore, he actually said he didn't like filming the scene and he thought that he should have charmed the information out of her. But he grabs her arm and he says she says you're hurting my arm and he says i'll break it if you don't talk and then he slaps her because it's like you know she's not talking enough and whatever like that and uh the the lines that he throws out there she says about you know he's got the uh, third nipple and he says well that might be the most useless information yet unless it's a strip club and he's performing and he follows it up afterward with he might use one of those golden bullets on you, and that would be a pity. They're very expensive. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're very expensive. That's the most passive-aggressive line in the whole monologue. He's such an ass. 
I love it though. I think that it's like a good, like a good character moment between those two. And uh, again, I mentioned the musical cue in that is so good. Uh, that's easily my favorite part of this whole movie. Um, what did you guys think about that? Did that stand out to you guys as anything, or is that just like another scene? I mean, she's definitely damaged goods mm-hmm. in as much as she admits that Scaramanga uses her when he wants to, you know, that she's a kept woman. Um, he's only in, after in, he kills, though. What's that? Only Was it after or only before he kills? I don't remember. I thought it was before, but then he comes in after in the film and, and rubs up on her with the gun. You like that gold dick? <laughs> right. The big gold dicks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I, I I got that point across. <laughs> but it does, it is it is un, uncharacteristic and unusual for Roger Moore. He plays on uh, you know, like manipulation in this scene and, and more than like I can any of other interaction he had with a with a Bond girl, he's kind of conniving and manipulative. It's it's a very dark relationship between the two. Did you like that kind of side of the things, Caroline? I did, just because like I get sick of the funny guy all the time. Uh just wanna say that I am not pro <laughs> violence towards oh, no, women none of us are, at all. No, that's not but, what I'm trying to get yeah, across no, here. That's know, not why it's awesome. <laughs> No, I know, yeah, but I know. I, I, I'm just saying that because I know that sometimes I come across as a crazy person who enjoys violence a lot. It's not no, the I case. It, it's daring to take a tough position like that in today's society. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to bounce to a couple different things here. Actually, before I do, I want to just throw it out there. Andrea Anders coming back and playing another Bond woman in uh, Octopussy, the titular one. Eh, she doesn't hold up as much titular yeah see what i did there yeah. i'm glad somebody caught that um the golden gun itself it's really one of our only gadgets here we talked about the airplane car which is ridiculous and uh that stunt jump with the little whistle that they actually said afterward that they regretted doing thankfully it's such a shame i mean that is one of the most amazing stunts. They did it entirely, you know, in real time with real cars, real stuntmen. I read, I think on the Wikipedia page, like 50 years later, not 50 years, but like relatively recently, they tried to restage that stunt, couldn't do it. Um, it was that difficult, that impossible seeming, and basically ruined mm-hmm. by this ridiculous kid's toy whistle. <laughs> but what do you guys think about the golden gun? Does it well, make any sense that that's a gun? It's like a cigarette lighter and stuff. It's a powerful weapon. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I stick with my my theory that it's just it's a. And you know what is funny is that in Persian culture, um, moms call their their kid their boys dicks like. Uh, like golden treasure or something like that. <laughs> um, and it's it's like a good thing. It's like they're so proud they have a boy, so they just like they cherish it. Um, so that's I don't know. It just makes me think of that. I I like that it's a gun. I feel like it would be too in your face of a penis reference if it was a knife. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, a couple more things I have here. 
how the fuck does that casino game work? <laughs> They're like bringing drawstring stuff down and whatever. yeah, you you put your money into a uh, cup that someone then just takes from you. That, <laughs> yeah, it's that, the worst, <laughs> the worst the game house, ever. The house always wins. It's a losing game it's like that scene in mafia where they're making fun of the casino stuff and it's the one game you absolutely cannot win and the people put the money down and he goes oh, i'm sorry you lost <laughs> uh, a couple funny lines here Ooh, surprise i love that the little hotel guy who would have to pay me killed jealous husbands humiliated tailors <laughs> <laughs> and um Actually, not a funny part, but actually something I want to bring out to my last little note here. The duel. I love the idea that this came down to just a standard duel. It's not like stuff really having to go crazy. There's no, like, well, I mean, there are explosions and stuff, but, like, Bond's not taking on a hundred people. It's just, it's him and one guy. It's different. I wish they had fought the duel, like, right there on the beach rather than going into the House of Horrors. It was, I mean, it's such a tense scene. I thought, you know, it was really going to come down to the better marksman, but... Caroline, any thoughts about the duel? I I, I was actually going to say that I liked that he was in the House of Horrors, but now, the way Alex puts it, I guess it makes, it makes sense what he says. I feel like some of the tension was cut once they moved it. Um, but I just like the House of Horrors because it's such a fun... <laughs> Ow! Ow! (laughs) So we're gonna go around our final thoughts on this. Any things we didn't mention yet in zero to ten? Alex, you're up first. Yeah, I wonder if uh, when they wrote the music, when Scaramanga had the music installed for that um, Al Capone, when Al Capone in the in the Funhouse comes out and plays the Man with the Golden Gun theme, like. (laughs) Did did he know that's his theme, or did he hear it somewhere? And I, I could go, I could go for that. Um, you know, it's memorable villain, memorable villain, beautiful locations. Um, Bond Island, James Bond Island. I mean, a sensible choice for a Bond film. <laughs> uh, a couple weak spots. We talked about the flying car, J.R. Pepper. I give it a five out of ten. Caroline. Uh, let's see. I guess, like, the only thing we we haven't mentioned yet, it's the uh, scenes with Q and how, like, silly they are. Oh, um, shut up, Q. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I do enjoy them. Um, I definitely had way more fun in this movie than the previous one, so I think I'm going to give it a five as well. Because you need... six. Oh. <laughs> oh, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, because it's exactly like we were talking about, how like it starts kind of serious, and then it just goes berserk. So it's kind of like you, you, you can either see that as a really good thing, or you can just be kind of upset that it just didn't go throughout seri- serious or funny all the way through. So the five is good. Uh, as I interjected there at the wrong spot, I'm getting it a six. I do think this is like one of the more fun movies and stuff. So uh, if you could get past the silly stuff and whatever, I recommend that for sure. Uh, we got three more Bond films coming your way, guys. License to Kill is up next. Click on part four.
Movie number four, License to Kill. You can spell it with a C or an S. Either way, it stars Timothy Dalton. One of his only two Bond films came out in 1989. This is something I got to pick a bone about here. The Rotten Tomatoes scores are 77 for critics and 59 for the audience. A 59. And I'm going to argue that they're wrong. (laughs) I think that this is one of the best Bond films. And I also just want to jump right into this topic here because I think it's really important. This is probably the Bond film that should have the widest appeal. It's so similar to Lethal Weapon and so many of these other movies from the 80s. Why don't people like it more? It's hard to explain. I mean, it's an A-characteristic Bond film. Uh, there's little in the line of gadgets. He doesn't wear a tuxedo for most of it. I guess it didn't meet uh, audience expectations about what a Bond film should be or... Maybe stiff competition, like you say, from other action films that year. See, I argue that like they they check all the marks. Like, I we'll, we'll break these down a little bit later, uh, you know, more depth and stuff. But gadgets, we've got the signature gun, the dentonite toothpaste, a bunch of other silly kind of things. We've got a Bond theme that sounds like a Bond theme. We've got two major women; they're both beautiful. He does wear the tux. He plays cards in it. You've got a villain who's awesome. You got these like sadistic deaths that happen in there. Like what do these people want out of this movie? I don't get it. It's so good. It's one of my favorite ones. And I, anything stand out to you, Caroline is like weird about this. Like what was your impression of this movie? Well, I have to say I, before I watched the movie, I saw uh, the ratings on um, Rotten Tomatoes so I was kind of like, okay, let's do this, but not really expecting anything out of it. I thought I was going to hate it, but I actually enjoyed it. Um, I I feel like the main thing is that it didn't feel like a Bond movie so much for me. Like it wasn't like a, the the villain wasn't disfigured in any way. It wasn't like this elusive figure. It was it was. Uh, like kind of like a, a a drug lord, so and talking about DEA and it was set in the Keys for the most part. It wasn't like in a extremely exotic location for the American public. I think I don't know. Like I can't really think why. And then there was also rating that some people are really upset about the violence in this movie. Um, sharks, hello, they're awesome. I don't understand. Like they're the best deaths in the movie. But I don't know. Like I, it was it was weird to me because I re- actually liked it. Violence is definitely a huge thing about this. It's the first Bond film that got PG thirteen. They've all been PG thirteen after that, and that's partially because that's where PG thirteen sort of started coming around. But easily the like most vicious deaths of Bond films. <laughs> we got probably I I would consider this the worst. I don't know about you guys, but. Milton Crest. <laughs> His <Yeah>. head explodes. <laughs> yeah. It expands before it explodes. Right. And it sounds like a balloon popping. It's just like, that's brutal, dude. You get to see a guy's head expand and blow up and blood goes all over the place. And it's like, oh, man, like every freaking villain in this movie and even some of the heroes and stuff like that. They just, they don't get a, a decent death at all. They are all getting, they're getting uh, ripped apart by this cocaine shredding machine. 
and uh, a couple of people die by sharks. You got even the good people like Truman Lodge. A decent guy, sort of. He just gets, you know, a chest full of lead. <laughs> uh, I love uh, Killifer's death, the old buddy. He loves that line, old buddy, by the way. <laughs> I lost track of how many times he said it. It was a couple of times in that, though. But they play that one up for laughs with Sharky going, what a terrible waste of money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is the violence too much, Alex? No, I think it's just enough. I mean, it suits the story. Bond is working outside Her Majesty's Secret Service. It's a revenge story, personal revenge. Off Her Majesty's Secret Service. <laughs> <laughs> Original rejected title, Off Her Majesty's Secret Service. What about you, Caroline? Is it just pushing it too far? Because I know, nah. you know you're into the, the horror stuff. Like. Yeah, no, I loved it. Like, I got excited over it. Like, ugh. Yeah, no, it's not. And I feel like if we... I think, like, it was just a big deal because it was back then. I don't really think that would have been a big deal if it was now, to be honest. There are many more horror movies that are, like, PG-13 that people laugh about that has, that have gorier stuff, and it's fine. So, it's all good. I would say bring it more. So, one of the most violent parts about the movie, is it kicks off the the whole thing. Felix Leiter, who has been in many Bond films at this point, he is getting married to Della and our titular, uh, not titular, it's not, you know, he doesn't have a license to kill. Uh, Sanchez, our main villain, he totally fucks up Felix's life. I mean, he, he takes away his leg, he takes away his wife, ruins his career, you were kind of assuming. I mean, it's like a, the end of the Felix Leiter storyline and whatever like that. Dark way to start off a Bond film, but before we get into the actual, like, the stuff with Felix and whatever like that, I want to throw it out there that this was something that happened apparently in Live and Let Die, and they took it into that. Now, Live and Let Die, it's funny enough, the guy who played Felix Leiter in Live and Let Die is the same one who played him here. One of the only people, other than Jeffrey Wright now in these films, to play him twice. So that's a fun little trivia note there. I thought that was pretty interesting. I would actually say that he's probably my favorite Felix, other than maybe Jeffrey Wright, but do you have a favorite, Alex? I like the um, the the uh, Caribbean Beach Felix Leiter in Thunderball. That has the sunglasses and the Hawaiian shirt, but Jack something I think. Jack, maybe Jack Lord. But a lot of people is, like him. This is a great Felix. You don't think he's too old, right? Uh, yeah, it's a little unbelievable that he's going to be jumping out of planes with gray hair, but you know, I'll, <laughs> I'll buy it. What do you guys think about Sharky? Another in the long line of um, aquatic-themed black Bond helpers that meet a tragic end. Yeah, it's the weird, first isn't one it? was in Doctor No. Quarrel, right? Yeah, Quarrel. Quarrel Junior. Where does Quarrel Quarrel Junior in uh, Live and Let Die? Live and Let Die, yeah. Quarrel, Quarrel Junior, and uh, Sharky. His name really was Sharky. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of our other heroes in this movie is actually Q. He's a field operative. This is the most that he's ever gotten to do in any of these films, and I actually really like that. I always love Desmond Well as Q. He's my, he, by far my favorite Q. And it was cool to see him kind of like, you know, get in the thick of things. 
And also, it's funny, uh, I didn't notice this until I was checking out the IMDb stuff on the trivia. Out of all the times that he keeps telling Bond, you got to bring this back in pristine order and stuff like that, he uses that rake, just throws it away. Cues <laughs> <laughs> a dick. It's so good. I love it. Let's talk about the gadgets. We're talking about Q. Why not? Signature gun, they brought that back for Skyfall. Dentonite toothpaste. Love that. Used sparingly. Uh, the explosive alarm clock guaranteed never to wake anybody up who uses it. The <laughs> <laughs> laser flash camera. Like, this is, you know, it's classic Bond stuff. Does anybody have a favorite out of those that they like? The toothpaste mm. The toothpaste? Yeah, the toothpaste, I think it's, like, the coolest. <laughs> I love the toothpaste, too. That's so good. <laughs> We're making it universal. The toothpaste is the best one. <laughs> Uh, action sequences uh, we can talk about a lot of different ones I just want to point out one of them and then you guys can kind of bounce around here but um, the random swordfish bar fight I love how generic it was where it's like two people start fighting so everybody in the bar starts hitting each other (laughs) (laughs) are there any action set pieces that stand out to you guys Um, the one piece that I like that is kind of dumb and I'm probably I'm I'm sh- I'm almost 100% sure that it's not even real, but it's in the beginning of the movie when um they wanna they they wanna get the plane to and I don't know what they're trying to do are they trying to they're trying to arrest the guy, but he's in the plane and they try to take the plane with them as they're driving another plane, and the plane just kind of limps in the air after a while. I thought that that was pretty cool. I'm pretty sure that that's not even, like, that wouldn't happen in real life. But I was like, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> I felt that they were both going to fall. I don't know. But it was it was cool. I like that one. I know it's stupid. <laughs> I know Alex likes that scene, but for a different reason. He likes the quote at the beginning of it. Sanchez in the Bahamas. And the other one, too. The Michael G. Wilson one. Oh, wait, wait what is it? If they hurry, they might just be able to catch the bastard. <laughs> oh. <laughs> if they, yeah, right. If they move now, they might just be able to grab the bastard. <laughs> uh, in terms of action set sequences, the tanker chase is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. And that, the ending of that with the giant flame of the the genuine Felix lighter. <laughs> right. The fact that it's like, you know, the flame goes up higher than it could possibly ever do. It's another brutal death getting uh, set on fire and then blowing up with your own cocaine. <laughs> God damn. You know, as one does. Yeah. Well, if you're going to be in Rome, you know. Yeah, typical Friday night for Sanchez. Lit <laughs> <laughs> on fire and blown up. Cool thing about that tanker scene, for those who don't know, if you listen, the bullets that ricochet play the Bond theme. Oh. And Weird. The... I never noticed that. You never did? No. Oh, it's so cool because uh, it's about like midway through it or something like that. It just goes ding, 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 ding. Cool little thing that they throw out there. I like that. Actually, you know what? That's going to bring us into the, the theme music and the, all the score and all that other kind of stuff. Gladys Knight sings the main theme, License to Kill. Yeah. I think it's one of the best Bond Love themes. It. So good. It's so like, it's a, a theme that I appreciate so much more as time goes on. And I remember a couple months ago or something like that, I have about 4,000 songs in my collection. I like to put it on shuffle and just, you know, listen to whatever. And a lot of times I won't be in the mood for certain things. And, you know, I'll hit shuffle 10 times in a row before I get to some <laughs> season. 
But I remember I'm like just kind of waiting for a good song to pop on, and License to Kill came on, and I was just really feeling it at that moment. And I was just like, God damn it, I would rank this probably in the top five Bond themes. It's a great song. Her voice is just, oh, so powerful. I can't say the same about If You Asked Me To. The Patti LaBelle theme at the end. Hmm. I'm trying to remember. <laughs> so many songs! So many beautiful black women singing. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, do you, what do you think about it If You Asked Me To? Um, it's forgettable there at the end. I mean, coming off of Living Daylights, where they had an end title song, or a couple of different songs that are worked into the musical score throughout the piece, throughout the film. Um, you know, it was like they built tension with have you know having all these themes play, giving them the different characters. The song just kind of pops in there at the end. I don't even think it was written for the film. I don't think so. There's a Celine Dion version of it too, but I really like the of... beginning of it. Remember the beginning? No. It's that that do 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 kind of thing. That I really like. Oh, I mean, the rest. Oh, that one. Yeah, the rest of it, it's like blah. But I will commend the Michael Kamen score. That's so good. I love that one. And it's weird too because they had um they had John Barry for all these movies and stuff. They pass along to Michael Kamen for one film. Eric Serra comes back in Goldeneye. We'll talk about that in you know the next part and stuff. And then they went back to they. They kept David Arnold for a couple movies and stuff. I think Michael Kamen did a good job for this, and he might not have been able to do great Bond themes going forward. Maybe it was like a one-shot thing, but I like the score for Lethal Weapon, and I love the score for this, too. I would rank this up high on the, the score list. Well, I'm not familiar with little, uh, the, the soundtrack of uh, Lethal Weapon, but I did enjoy the sound uh, the soundtrack in this movie, I mean, I tend to like most of the soundtrack in the, in the Bond movies we watch, to be honest. I'm not really picky about my music, I guess. <laughs> but um, they never really take me out. They, they go with the action the way they should. And it's just it feels really classic to me, which I appreciate because I don't think I'm ready to see, like, full-on, like, technical tech, techno music on a Bond movie or something crazy like that. Like, I just like how classic he feels. Don't watch Free Your Eyes Only, then. Really? <laughs> it's a disco score. Oh, well, you know, disco, okay. <laughs> That's fucking terrible. <laughs> Alex, any thought on uh, Michael Kamen? Uh, it's a good score. There aren't very many memorable themes in it, but it complements the film well all throughout. So let's move back into the villain side of things. Sanchez, one of my favorite villains. Funny guy. He's got a good belly laugh. He keeps making people laugh constantly in the movie. This guy tells jokes like it's his fucking job. <laughs> Every meeting that they have, Sanchez basically walks along while Truman Lodge or... Uh, Crest or Killifer or Heller or any of the case, any of those other people, they're all like talking and going like, like Truman Lodge is kind of like, you know, we distribute to this platform and we talk about this, whatever. And he's like, the only thing we have to worry about is what to do with our money. (laughs) (laughs) He laughs more than any Bond villain, yet he's probably the most sadistic fuck out of all the Bond villains. I love that. That's like a perfect combination. 
and something I didn't know before, and I didn't read this until I read the the trivia about this. When he whips Lupe, it's with a stingray tail. Oh, ouch! I I never knew what it was, and it it looks like it's on the end of a gun too. Hmm. It's I just like. I thought it was made out of plants or something because it's kind of greenish looking. I thought it was just some sort of rope with yeah. roots or something. Yeah, I just thought it was like a garret or whatever, like just like standard, you know, noose sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, stingray tail just to make them wow. like, you know, even weirder. I love it. All about it. I guess it stings. <laughs> 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 That's yeah, why I... you guys are friends. Because <laughs> <laughs> of the stupid plot. <laughs> uh, I'm and... going to throw two lines out there that Alex is going to, he's going to uh, reciprocate with, I'm sure. Milton Crest. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it. And uh, what's the proper response to goodbye, Mr. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Drunken Milton Crest. <laughs> You don't understand. It's not my money. <laughs> I love that character. I thought it was cool. He's, he's a yeah, total he's pushover, you know? He's fun. And he's I don't think a... you ever... Go ahead. You never see him drinking, but he's always drunk, but never drinking. <laughs> I think he drinks in one shot. I like it. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Killifer and Heller, we can all agree they're just like, nah, nah who cares, right? Yeah. <laughs> what, do you, what do you guys think about the drug fundraising thing? Bless your heart. <laughs> that was terrific. Yes. I love the story behind it, too, that they would use that as, like, their money laundering scam. <laughs> totally. I think, I think as, like, things like that in the film really hold up to this day. Like, it seems mm-hmm. so sensible. You can imagine that behind... Those kinds of ministries, you know, money laundering, prostitution. The whole movie, I think, is very reasonable. Yes. Like, this is a drug dealer who has a shit ton of money because everybody's into the drug trade. And we got that side plot where Hong Kong narcotics is, like, pissed that Bond's going to take it away from them. And Heller is somebody who is going to maybe sell some of the secrets to the government. And it's a wide, like net of people that it casts and stuff and it all makes sense like even dario is this young guy who got into the right gang and is just like that sick fuck kind of guy so of course he makes his way towards the top he's the dude that's willing to kill anybody and uh do some kind of stupid quips at the end you're dead (laughs) (laughs) benicio del toro Is it weird looking at Benicio del Toro that young? No, oh, he's so sexy. <laughs> <laughs> he's intense. He says a lot with his eyes. Mm. He doesn't die really well though. He gets shot, and it's just like, ugh. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It's all forgiven. One He's of the just... worst deaths. I'm just being. Like, ah, ah, like, oh, I don't want to be a part of that. Like, <laughs> Fucking Pam's just like, are you alright? And Bond's like, switch the bloody machine. <laughs> God damn it, Pam. What do you guys think of Pam, by the way, actually? Um, one of the stories that I wanted to bring up here, or not one of the stories, one of the fan theories and stuff like that that I had come across was that every Bond film that ends with 
a different actor ends in a way that it could be the series finale. Like, You Only Live Twice, he sort of gets married, and kind of like he takes care of Blofeld, and you know, it's sort of like he's pretending to be dead, so maybe he gets away with it that way. On Her Majesty's Secret Service, you got the whole the death of Tracy, he's left the business kind of thing. Roger Moore's final film, Evita Will Kill, doesn't really apply that much to it, but he's just old as fuck and he has to leave. <laughs> License to Kill, though, it ends with him with Pam. And they had thrown out the reference at Della's wedding where she says, did I say something wrong? And it's like, well, he was married, oh, yeah. but it was a long time ago. I love that part. And it's like Bond kind of has found another person that he can be with. She fights with him, but, uh, you know, it kind of tests him in certain ways and stuff. The Pam character, would that be a good person for Bond to end up with? Definitely. I mean, she holds her own against him. Yeah, she's spicy. She's not a bimbo. Uh, she actually has more than two dimensions to her. So, yeah. They really the I'll give them credit to this. We were talking before about the other films and how like sexist they are and how like Bond smacking women to get information and all this stuff, which thankfully they don't do anymore because then nobody would be able to identify with the Bond character. And here's a good transition where instead of Bond doing that, Lupe's character falls head over heels for James, you know. Uh, but Pam, she's arguing, she's standing up for herself in a lot of ways. She's trying to take charge in uh, different situations where it's just kind of like, you know, I saved your ass, that kind of a thing. They they go a little bit overboard in trying it sometimes, but it's good to see somebody who's not just like a total bimbo like Mary Goodnight. Goodnight is just a disgrace to her gender compared to <laughs> kind of more on the normal Bond spectrum. Uh, yeah. You know, do you guys think that Lupe? That here's a, a, something I wanted to bring up. They killed Della. They hurt Felix. They killed Sharky. And I said before that there should be people who die to make the stakes go up. I'm actually glad they didn't also kill Lupe. It's kind of different to see the the girlfriend not have to have a terrible life and die afterward. I agree. Yeah, and I kind of so. like how he ended too, with the two girls are there. That's nice. And Bond makes his choice. Yeah, exactly. And right. he goes for not the obvious choice. I'd have gone for Lupe. <laughs> oh, God. Come on. <laughs> Who would you have gone for, Alex? That's a tough call. I I don't know. I mean, uh, I'd lean towards Pam. Oh, fine. I'll take Lupe all for myself. Lupe's kind of potato, though. I'll eat that potato. <laughs> okay. <laughs> a hot potato. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, she got into the drugs. She might be a twice baked potato. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Before we get into too many potato puns, let's uh, wrap this one up here. Least favorite, favorite stuff. Anything you want to throw out there? Zero to ten scale. What would you rank License to Kill, Alex? I'd give it a solid eight and a half out of ten. Dalton. My favorite Bond, strong film, great script, very realistic, little to complain about. Caroline? Uh, I will give it seven and a half. It, it was fun, uh, but at the same time, I felt like you guys said, realistic, holds up, 
didn't feel so much like a Bond movie at times for me, but that's not a bad thing. Um, yeah, and Stingray whipping is my new thing now. So yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have to give that an 8 out of 10, too. It's definitely one of my favorite Bond films, and one of the very few that I think I could suggest to anybody if they're a fan of, like, action films, and they won't look at it and go, really, dude, you watch these type of movies? Because if you watch Man with the Golden Gun, as much as it's fun, <laughs> they'd be like, you're watching films about a dude with a third nipple and a fucking midget, and be like, no, 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 just watch License to Kill, and then you can go back and watch the weird ones. Uh... So that's License to Kill, everybody. We are going to move on to our second-to-last one here. It is GoldenEye. Stay tuned. Click on Part 5. Follow the normal schedule here. We'll see you with the 1995 film GoldenEye. Next up is Pierce Brosnan's film, the 1995 movie GoldenEye, which is usually considered one of the best Bond films and one of the ones that's the easiest to get people into the franchise and Definitely is the one that I got into the franchise with. It's probably the first full Bond film that I had watched. And to this day, it's still my favorite. I'm just going to spoil it right now. I'm giving this movie a 9 out of a 10. I love it from top to bottom. And I'm not going to talk too much about it myself. Because if you guys are interested in my opinion about lots of the little things. Kind of like what we did with the other movies and stuff. You got to go check out the fan tracks audio commentary that Alex and I had done. We really broke down pretty much everything that we could have broken down. So, uh, you know, it, rather than repeat how much I like the Boris pen and, uh, you know, different stuff like that or whatever like that, I'm going to pass this more over to you guys and stuff. Now, Alex, we, you were obviously a part of the thing that you and I did. <laughs> uh, so you got a lot of your opinions out for that kind of stuff. But what was the first opinion that you had with Goldeneye? Was that the movie that got you into the Bond franchise? Definitely. It's where it all started with me. I had played the video game GoldenEye 007 for N64, wanted to check out the film it was based on. The rest is history. I mean, it just blew me away. It was like the coolest film I'd ever seen, and it launched my interest in the Bond series. Caroline, have you ever seen GoldenEye before we were doing the movie club? Uh, I had not, um, which... I'm kind of mad about because I feel like I, if I started with that one, maybe I would have gotten to James Bond sooner than I did. Um, really fun. Really, really, really fun. Uh, Pierce Brosnan is just so dreamy. So that counts many points for me. Um, yeah. And oh my God, like a really young, oh, now his name, Alan Cummings is in it. So it's like, oh, look at you little baby yeah it was a really fun movie i had a really awesome time watching it did you ever play the game no i did not my mom had a thing against violent games so i used to have to sneak out to play mortal Kombat, but nobody had that one so i didn't oh, I get to play out. yeah it's so i missed good. out on many things tony many things <laughs> So we talked about our favorite Bonds and stuff. We went through Brosnan and whatever. That's why we're not focusing too much on the, the Bonds themselves or whatever. But somebody who was almost James Bond for this movie was Sean Bean, who plays Alec Trevelyan, 006. I mean, if you're not going to be 007, as close as you could possibly get when you're 006, right? <laughs> the only thing better than that is if you're 008. But as far as a villain goes, easily one of my favorite villains 
you can buy him being somebody who can match with Bond, even surpass Bond. You know, he knows Bond really well. He's got the same skill set and stuff, but he's just a little bit more ruthless. Huge, huge fan of Trevelyan. Uh, what do you think about that, Alex? Yeah, definitely. He's one of the few Bond villains that can match wits with Bond and sort of go head-to-head in a physical fight with him. A lot of fun to watch. Caroline, any thoughts on 006? Yes, he's awesome. I loved him. And how great it is when you have a villain that knows your hero inside out. And they were friends. And they had a big fallout. And now they're against each other. That is so powerful. Like, no, you will never have a really... How can I say this? Like, if your best friend becomes your worst enemy... Your life becomes hell because that person knows you. Mm. And he has worked with uh, Bond for a while, so he knows how he operates. And that is just, that definitely makes him one of the most compelling villains in the series. So, a couple other villains that we had Boris, the computer hacker, pretty memorable guy. It's sort of ridiculous, but not as ridiculous <laughs> as Nick Knack or. Uh, people with third nipples or anything crazy like that. Uh, I think that this is kind of a good testament. Like the Boris character himself is a good way to judge how this film saw itself. Like it's darker, sort of like License to Kill, but not as dark as License to Kill. And it takes itself a little bit more seriously. And since then, we've had some Bond films that don't, like Die Another Day. But GoldenEye kind of set the pace for like, the right tone, I think, for Bond films. Like, Boris is funny, but he's not a joke. He's just right. an eccentric guy. It's like the the whole, like, that old saying, like, you're not laughing at him, you're laughing with him. Like, he's just, he's a quirky character, but he's not a mess. <laughs> you're especially laughing at his knockers pun. Oh, God, I bet. <laughs> So when you were watching this, did you get the chair password or did you think it was something else? Oh, I'm really dumb. Like, I'm bad with passwords and, like, guessing games. So, no, I didn't. <laughs> what was your first thought when you were watching that the scene with Natalia and the, uh, the hacking stuff? And, you know, they're right in front of you, but uh, and open very large doors. Was it just like, oh, Jesus Christ, like... <laughs> No, that one I did get, but only because I feel like I've heard it before. <laughs> but then the chair was like, what, ass? But you do take your ass with you. Would it be shit? But that wouldn't make sense. That's not <laughs> sexy. <laughs> right, you don't sit on shit. Well, I don't know. If you live in Union Square and you're pooping in front of TGI Fridays, you might. I don't know. Weird story, but yes, like there's weird people around me. Um, it's Boris's password. You shit on it, but you, you can't should... take shit with you. <laughs> Is it shit? <laughs> arse. It puts arse in there. What did you point out, Tony, when we did the commentary that? Like, Natalia knows how many letters it is, and she keeps putting in four-letter words or something? Yeah, yeah, chair is five letters, and she puts in butt, buns, I think is one of them, rear, I think she might even put in there, uh, and arse. arse. I'm surprised arse. she didn't try fucking rump. 
it's like you're missing a letter here. It's was going to be like, but one or something. But. <laughs> yeah, buts. She's a little weird. Uh, how does she measure up uh, for the scale of the Bond girls? She's got stiff competition against Xenia in this film, who's one of the very best, mm. fiercest Bond girls. Mm. She's so crazy. I love her. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> She's hot. all legs. She's so, like... Leggy. <laughs> now, when we were talking in the commentary about this, I want to get your opinion about it, Caroline, and see if you agree. Xenia, when she kills people, is she having an orgasm? Yes! Of course okay. she is! Okay, she, it's not just us. No, 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 no. She's a complete psychopath. Like, of course she's getting sexual gratification out of killing people. Yes! <laughs> As one does. <laughs> As one does. <laughs> Speaking from experience, when I kill you know, people, just, you know. I'm here doing this podcast, but this is, you know, it, it's earlier, a, an unusual you, week, yes. You know, you did a couple podcasts, but earlier today you had to <laughs> ventilate someone. Yes, exactly, you know. It's probably the worst line in the movie. <laughs> I hate to ventilate someone. <laughs> Uramov. I like his kind of character as that, like, you were saying earlier, Alex, about why do these weird businessmen get involved in international, uh, like, crime syndicates and stuff. I like when you get a Normov character, some guy who's got the military, so that's sort of why Trevelyan has this force behind him, and he has his own reasons. I mean, he wants to be somebody who takes over, so he works with the villains, and, you know, he ends up getting shot for it because he's a drunken fuck. Right. <laughs> I like how washed up he is, you know. Yeah. He's drinking and unshaven. When he goes to give the excuse, you know, to explain what happened in Severnaya to, you know, all the ministers at the table, they barely listen to him before they start questioning him. <laughs> Ormov, what happened? Well, ah, you're fucking wrong. <laughs> it's as bad as uh, Valentin's dismissal of the dude who, uh, yeah, you know how long the winter lasts? Tell him, Dimitri. Well, well, it depends on... Shut the fuck up, Dimitri. What? And what does it depend on, Dimitri? I mean, what was he going to say? Weather patterns? El Nino? <laughs> Mini Driver pops up as a uh, singer in that scene. Was that a surprise for you, Caroline? Yes! I, 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 I was like, is that her? He can't be her. I go on. Yeah, no, it was a big surprise. I, I just... I wonder if there's like some sort of story about that. Like, should, should uh, she had sang the Bond theme? Oh, really? No. Oh. <laughs> Strangling a cat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She was, <laughs> which is hilarious because she's actually a pretty good singer. Is she? But yeah, she um she was in the film version of um the musical Phantom of the Opera, and she actually. Does a pretty good job singing opera in that huh. uh, movie, um, but yeah, like I, I couldn't believe it was her. She looks so young and so fresh. I love it. I love her. A couple things about the theme music itself: Tina Turner and uh, well, they don't sing it, but Tina Turner sings the song. It was written by U two. Yeah, I saw that. Very I got strange. so excited. <laughs> I gotta imagine that this is on my top five for Bond themes too. I love this one. Yeah, that one's so good. And I like the alternative one too. That 
Ace of Base did, The Juvenile. Anybody who doesn't know that, go check out The Juvenile. Really good song. Actually, one of my favorite songs of all time, period, outside of the Bond franchise, too. Now, Alex and I disagree about this one, The Experience of Love. We mentioned that uh, The End of License to Kill, we've got the Patti LaBelle theme, but we had a better one with The Living Daylight. So this kind of became like a running theme of doing two Bond themes. And it continues again in Tomorrow Never Dies. We have the end theme for that. Surrender is actually the main theme throughout the whole score and stuff. But, uh, you know, we're not doing Tomorrow Never Dies. I think Experience of Love is a good song. Alex, you hate it, right? Oh, it's so strange. The vocalist has this weird accent. It sounds like it's from the 80s, but it's from the 90s. Do you have any thoughts on that, Caroline? I thought it was recorded on the 80s. It does sound 80s, but I love 80s music, so I didn't mind it at all. I was like, oh, it's a good song. I didn't love it, but I didn't hate it. The experience of didn't really hate it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. We got a new M in this one, too. I mean, we're doing a rebooting of the franchise to a certain extent, but continuing some of the continuity. And they made sure that they would tell people that, like, it's not the Cold War anymore. We can't just fight Russia all the time, even though they're fighting a former KGB guy, you know. (laughs) Right. Kind of, like, defeats the purpose. We need some new ideas. They can't fight Russians. How about former Russians? Yeah. Uh, But... We have a a female M with Judy Dench, and I'm going to go on record as saying my favorite M other than, you know, the most – let's put it this way. Uh, If you're going to go with any of the M's ever, Judy Dench is my favorite. I do really like Bernard Lee, and I think that he deserves a lot of credit and stuff. But I like Judy Dench the best, and curious where you guys would rank when it comes to this because by now we've had Bernard Lee in the couple other movies that we talked about. We had Robert Brown in the Timothy Dalton one, and now we've got Judy Dench in the first movie that she's in. How does uh, Judy Dench rank when it comes to the M's? Number one for me, for sure. I love the fact that she's a lady, and she's the one bossing around James Bond, because for the longest time, he had the upper hand on all women, and now there's like this very powerful woman on top of him. Not literally. <laughs> on a top? <laughs> on a top? <laughs> um, Shit it out. <laughs> but I love it. I love how they uh, interact. I just love her. She's awesome. She's so... She's powerful, but she's a powerful, non-bitchy character, which I love. Oh, so you don't think she's bitchy? I think she's real bitchy. I think she's bitchy. I just think she's like a boss chick which is very different from being a bitch that's true yeah i'll give you that she goes from the evil queen of numbers and calling him a sexist misogynist yes like thank you you tell him i think that's like probably my favorite line in the film the sexist misogynist dinosaur right yeah yeah that was so good relic the cold war whose boy has charms uh what did she say the who like that don't work on me uh Obviously, appeal to that young woman I sent out to evaluate you. (laughs) (laughs) We figured out her name when we were looking this up. Was her name was Caroline, wasn't it? Yeah. um, Was it Caroline? I think so. I don't think he says it in there. I think it's just in the script. But that's she's just like stop the car right now, and he's like champagne. She's like, all right, let's stop this car at once. 
odd note that I have written down here, this is a Bond film with no real car chase. We have the car scene at the beginning towards there that we're talking about now, but it's not the same type of Bond car chase. And then we have a tank chase, but we don't have, like, the car with the gadgets. Instead, Q Branch gives him the car, and he specifically goes, hey, don't touch any of the buttons in that car. (laughs) Right. He drives it around an island and then tells someone else not to play with it. Yeah. Was that missing from this? Do you guys think that they should have had some kind of a different car chase? Nah. The tank chase does the job pretty well. Yeah, I think so too. You don't want to overwhelm the film with motor vehicles chases. Uh, Q Branch scene I mentioned a minute ago, it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. I just love that whole thing. Um, we got the the car that does nothing, we got the, the pen... As far as the gadgets go, we got the belt. I thought the belt was actually pretty cool. Yeah, the belt was cool. Came that's in handy. Yeah, only, like, it's only designed for one person. <laughs> <laughs> like, when I look at some of these Bond films, and it's like that they go out of their way to make these ridiculous things, like the the alligator submarine thing. And uh, then I see, like, a belt with a repelling cord in there. Bond should wear that all the time. Yeah. And the cigarette that can act like a gun. He should have one of those all the time. The Moonraker, he's got the watch that has the darts in it. And in this movie, he's got the watch with the, the laser. That that laser watch is so good. And they actually bring it back in Die Another Day, which I went nuts over when I saw it in theaters. So I, I really like the, the gadgets in this. I think that was a good way to do that. I'm going to round us out a little bit here because we don't want to drag on too long and repeat the same stuff that we were talking about before. I didn't mention before the Rotten Tomato scores on this 78 for the critics and 83 for the audience. That's more of what I like to hear. But as far as you guys go, any things you want to throw out there and any zero to 10 rankings you want to give it, Alex? Um, Nine out of 10. And uh, just to continue the discussion of gadgets, let's not forget Q's sandwich. Yeah. And the sledgehammer <laughs> that restarts Jack Wade's car. Oh, that, that great sledgehammer. <laughs> oh, actually, you know what? While we're talking about that, Jack Wade, we were talking about how bad J.W. Pepper is. Jack Wade's a little bit funnier and stuff. He's a different replacement for Felix Leiter, but he works, right? Definitely, yeah. He, he fits in with the tone of the film. He adds a little bit of a comedic edge to it. Hey, Bond, you do any gardening? <laughs> <laughs> Muffy. Yeah, Muffy third wife what does he call the caller she's a leggy little bitch but she gets there yeah right do you give that a nine out of ten i give it a nine out of ten as well caroline anything you want to throw out there and what's your ranking i'm right there with you guys nine out of ten for sure golden eye so good everybody go play the game go watch the movie go check out the fan tracks after you watch the movie (laughs) so you can hear us joke about the very specific things and stuff but we, we do have one more thing that we got to take care of, and that's the Daniel Craig era with Casino Royale coming up in part six. Again, iTunes and Stitcher, don't got to do a thing. YouTube, click on part six. If for some reason you're watching this just from the GoldenEye thing, you haven't checked out the parts that came before it, go back and check that out because who knows what jokes we're going to be referencing and stuff. So Casino Royale, our final film coming up. We'll see you there. Last up on our list is Casino Royale. 2006 is when that was released. Rotten Tomatoes scores higher than any other film on the list. 95 for the critics and an 89 for the audience score. 
And I can't really disagree in certain extents because I think that this is one of the most serious, better, like, structured Bond films in a lot of ways. And it's something that if this film would have been bad, I don't know if we would have seen Daniel Craig back again. I think that they would have rebooted it again. And it's something that's kind of odd and kind of um, necessary. We had reached a point where Die Another Day is a terrible Bond film. It's got a couple of good parts about it, but not much. And the franchise really needed a reboot. And now, by 2006, the audiences had kind of gotten used to the idea of what reboots meant. Kind of what we were saying before with On Her Majesty's Secret Service. They had a new way of doing things with carrying on the same continuity but replacing the actor. And they didn't have to be the ones that started the reboot chain in this uh, Casino Royale and stuff, but it was a daunting task, and it was something where they brought back Martin Campbell, who had done GoldenEye, kind of a soft reboot. First off, uh, before we get into some of the other things like that, Alex, what do you think about the idea that they brought the same guy back for that? Was that a mistake, or was that a positive? I think it was a positive. It could only work in the favor. I mean, Martin Campbell had directed one of the best Bond films in recent memory. It was a perfect choice to direct Casino Royale. Get them back on track and stop doing the same shit that they were doing with like the world's not enough and all that right right invisible cars and people with diamonds in their faces (laughs) i don't think that one's too bad the uh the diamond in the face i'll I'll argue against the the haters for that a little bit at least invisible car i can't that's just stupid uh seeing a movie like this caroline do you see any kind of parallels between golden alley and uh casino royale Uh, I would say, like, the pacing uh, was somewhat similar. I mean, compared to the previous ones that we talked um, here. um, Let's see. Uh, I would say, like, some of the action. But, of course, this one, I feel like it was way more charged action-wise. Hmm. Am I missing something? I think those two are the biggest things for me. My original take on this, I was really worried that Daniel Craig was going to be a terrible Bond. And when I heard that they were rebooting it, I'm like, oh, man, worried as all hell. And uh, opening shot of the movie immediately pissed me off. No gun barrel. (laughs) They they kept that going up until Spectre. And if you want to hear my reaction to the Spectre thing, go listen to the Spectre review point because that was awesome. But did you hate that as much as I did, Alex? It definitely threw me for a loop. Um, You know, it upset my expectations. Uh, But, you know, it it turned out to be a, a sort of minor issue in the film, you know. What do you think that they, like, I mean, this is, we're talking about Casino Royale, but the fact that they continued not doing that in Quantum of Solace and Skyfall. I mean, it's strange. There's ways that, you know, they could break with the continuity, you know, the the sort of stylistic continuity of the Bond films, but that seems like a sort of hallmark of, you know, I mean, 16, 17 films have feature it. So it was a little strange. I thought that it was weird that, like... Something's iconic. Yeah, they take an iconic kind of thing like that, and they put a little bit of a twist on it by having it in like transition into the opening credits and stuff. And I thought that Quantum of Solace was going to start off with it immediately. Quantum of Solace is a train wreck in a lot of different ways and stuff, but 
rewatching this again, I rewatched it today, and I've seen Casino Royale a couple times. It's actually probably one of my favorite Bond films. Maybe like number three, actually. I like it quite a bit. But Quantum of Solace is one of my least favorite. And rewatching it today, I just realized having seen Spectre and how they really tied in the movies now, like it used to be just a loose continuity, some references here and there kind of thing. Like in On Her Majesty's Secret Service, he's looking at the like different stuff from over the years and that kind of stuff and whatever. And uh, Bond in um, Dying Another Day, I, I can't remember for sure if it's 100% accurate, if this is just me filling in the information. I think that his office has a lot of the same stuff as it did before. Like there might even be like the little the golden gun or uh, not the golden gun, the golden bullet or something like that. Like, <laughs> you know, but quantum of solace to me strikes me as a movie that if that was just an extra hour and a half of casino Royale, it would be great. Cause it's really just a con- uh, continuation of it. It's not a separate film. I know that like, we're not talking uh, quantum of solace, so I don't want to get too far into that or whatever. But one of the things I want to kind of bring up when it comes to that is, uh, I didn't notice it until this time I was watching it. And the note that I wrote down was the first hour is easy to digest and the second hour is meatier, but it, it's a little bit harder. Like Vesper doesn't come in until about an hour something into it. And it, it kind of makes me think that like, you know how they do like the Harry Potter films go, uh, there were seven books, I think, and they made eight movies cause they split the other one. And now we've got The Hunger Games just came out, and they split the third book into two movies, and they did that with the Divergent things and stuff. Um, What do you guys think of the idea that maybe we could have gotten, like, Casino Royale Part 1 and Casino Royale Part 2, where maybe it ends, the first movie ends around, like, maybe, like, the little bit after the torture scene, and then the other one gets picked up after that. Well, I haven't seen Corner of Solace, so I'm not, you know, 100% sure what I'm going to say next. But um, I feel like it would make sense. I feel like they could definitely find content to fill two movies and just have part one and part two. If Quantum of Solace is that bad, like, it would only make sense for them to do something like that. Yeah, I agree. One of the biggest criticisms I have of Daniel Craig's Bond films is that three of the four of them seem to just go on way too long. Now, do you think that's kind of a byproduct of like the the scenes that are doing all the the poker stuff? Like maybe they should have trimmed them. Yes. For me, it's the third <laughs> film that slows it down. It's the what? The third act. Mm-hmm. Like uh, post the torture scene. Yeah. Exactly. The poker stuff I find really interesting, and it's kind of baffling that it took them this long to finally play a game, Texas Hold'em, that's comprehensible to most of the audience. I mean, all those years of Baccarat. And whatever that game was in uh, The Man with the Golden Gun. Yeah, totally. (laughs) So, obviously, Casino Royale, it's uh, based off of the very first Bond novel. And that was one of the reasons why they did that for the reboot and stuff. But one of the things that they didn't reboot was they didn't recast M. Judy Dench plays a harsher character, I think, than she did with the other ones. We talked about her in Goldeneye. She gets toned down in Tomorrow Never Dies, and she gets toned down again in The World's Not Enough, and then even more in Dying Another Day. 
by the time this comes around, our introduction to her is she's going, Christ, I missed the Cold War, and Bond's a fucking blunt instrument <laughs> and all this. And But they develop this really strong bond between the two of them, no pun intended, that <laughs> I, I hated in Quantum of Solace how they only referred to her, her as mom. But when I watched Casino Royale and he calls her mom, uh, it was like, what, huh? He called her mom. Why did he call her mom? And then when Skyfall happens, fucking awesome. I love that relationship. And that's uh, actually one of my favorite things about the Craig thing. I, I loved how they, they changed M up. What do you think about that, Alex? Is it good that they went for like the motherly thing instead of just the boss? Definitely. I mean, Judy Dench, like we said in, uh, just a minute ago, is one of the, probably one of the best M's. And when they gave her more time, added more depth to her, she played a great counterbalance to Daniel Craig in terms of the coldness, her aggression. Um, they gave her a lot more to do, and I think it really paid off. What do you think, Caroline? Do you like Absolutely. Which, which version of M do you like better out of the, uh, her stuff? I like the tougher M. But she's tough in a way that a mom will be tough on an unruly boy. And I feel like that relationship they have is just so powerful because, I mean, just look at James Bond. He's a womanizer. She definitely has mommy issues. So, like, to have her, like, this powerful female that not only is his boss, but they have, like, some sort of emotional connection um that it's not openly talked about but everybody knows it's just so amazing to me and it adds so much depth into both characters that it's just it just makes everything richer i love her so we have the m stuff uh, mathis is a kind of confusing thing i i can't quite get what they were doing with that but i liked mathis i thought he was kind of cool and we have Felix Leiter reintroduced. Jeffrey Wright plays the character. Yes. Talked a little bit about him, but you're on the Felix Leiter uh, bandwagon, Caroline? Yes. <laughs> is it because of the actor or is that uh... – <laughs> Oh, I just liked him. I thought he was cool. He is a kind of cool cat, like the uh, – I'm bleeding chips. <laughs> yeah, I'm bleeding chips. <laughs> like, do you think we care about the money? He's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and introduce so himself. Cool. Brother from Langley. <laughs> oh, and I love his He's line. He's so cool. Uh, his line about the um, the drink where Bond orders it, they're all specific, like three quarters of Gordon's and whatever, or three, whatever, three measures of Gordon's or whatever. And uh, somebody else goes like, I think I'll have one. And then somebody's yeah. like, make that three. And then he goes, uh, my friend, make that another one. Keep the fruit. <laughs> very american <laughs> oh i love him he's if, if he's not my favorite felix he's number two yeah he's awesome i want him back again just bring him back i hope so Bleeding villains shit. are interesting in this one we we don't have like that one standout kind of villain because it's weird in this movie like Every Bond film, for the most part, the villain is the last fight because it's the boss fight. You know, a video game, you fight Dr. Wily at the end of Mega Man, not at the beginning of it. You fight Dr. Robotnik at the end of Sonic and whatever. Bowser doesn't pop up and get, you know, taken out of the game halfway through, but Lashif does. And the main villain of this almost is Mr. White. 
who mm-hmm. he continues on. I mean, he's in Quantum of Solace. He's referenced in Skyfall. And then big character uh, change when it comes to Spectre. Did not see that coming for Mr. White. I thought that he was just going to be some random extra guy like Professor uh, Dent, is it, in Doctor – no? Professor Dent. Yeah, like he's like the Professor Dent, but he's like – he's better than Lashif, you know? Weird. And uh, as far as Lashif goes and Mr. White and the eye patch guy that I thought was Lashif the first time I saw it, really weird that they looked so similar. Yeah. Uh, what's Lashif and the – spectrum of like every Bond villain's got something weird. I mean, we talked Blofeld has that scar with the earlobes and Jaws got the teeth and odd job for some reason when he's translated into video games, he loses height and he's got the bowler hat. Um, Lashif though, weeping blood. Yes. <laughs> Emo. <laughs> oh. I do like how Bond just flat out says it. Just, Oh, well, you know, I'm not going to be too worried until I start weeping blood. Blood, yes. <laughs> Alex, what do you think about that? Is it a good little trait for a villain? It's just strange and... ...nor there, like, it's it's just one of these wacky quirks they make. I mean, I guess, I guess it's a little bit more subtle than him being horribly disfigured. We're having diamonds stuck in his face. <laughs> Maybe he's got a little bit of a diamond in his eye, and that's why he keeps bleeding. And that's why it just keeps bleeding. We also have Stephen Abano, who is just like some guy, you know. <laughs> but Caroline, out of the villains, who's the standout people? And what do you think about the difference between like Mister White being that guy, and you know the the fact that we've got. Lashif, who's weeping blood, and then we have this random eye patch guy. It's like, well, what's up with these people's eyes? <laughs> <laughs> well, to me, like it, it made a lot of sense the whole eye situation because the, I mean, the movie's called uh, Casino Royale, so it's a lot about like some poker players. They even wear sunglasses, so you can't really see their eyes, so that you don't know if they're um, bluffing or whatnot. So it kind of, like, to me, felt very symbolic that both characters had issues with their eyes, in a way. Um, I like that Mr. White was the ultimate bad guy, but I'm very biased because I love Mads Milkinson, who, who played um, uh, Le Chiffre. Uh, and I know you guys are going to make fun the way I say his name, whatever. Just, like... <laughs> Do it. I don't uh, know how to pronounce his name, actually. I've heard Mickelson, and I've heard Mickelson. Oh, uh, well, anyways, him. He played Hannibal on TV, and I have the biggest crush on him. He's so <laughs> awesome. And the fact that he had, like, a broken eye, just like I have a broken eye, and they're both the left side. I, I just felt like we connected in <laughs> levels. <laughs> We connected in so many levels. We're destined to be together forever. Um, I just liked him. I liked him as a, a villain, and I like that he is like so. He's not just like yes, he's a bad guy, but he's also like just trying to save his own skin because he owes that guy a lot of money, right. and he has like an inhaler, which I <laughs> loved. <laughs> Um, he's not too threatening when it comes to like he's got the inhaler he's weeping blood and his whole story is just kind of like I fucked up and I want to make it better right. yeah but he's- that is awesome because I feel like 
it's almost like people it kind of reminded me of the villain in that um, Bruce Willis movie Unbreakable uh, uh, Samuel L. Jackson because he's the opposite he's completely breakable <laughs> <laughs> um, and even though he's in a wheelchair and he can't do a lot of things because his bones just break he has that whole mental thing that is just so frightening and i feel like whenever you put somebody in a corner where they have to save their own skin and if they already have some sort of psychopathy or whatever inside of them they're gonna be insane like they're not gonna care he clearly doesn't care when that guy threatens to chop his girlfriend's arm off he doesn't say anything and the guy even says like oh you need a new boyfriend (laughs) yeah Yeah, not a Um, word of protest you need a new boyfriend (laughs) you need a new boyfriend and it's like yes because he clearly just cares about himself and he just wants to pay this guy off make him go away and continue to weep blood which i think it's oh it's just (laughs) Okay, I'm just going to start, like, fangirling all over him. But he's just so awesome. I like him a lot. Okay, I'm done. His master plan's like that South Park thing where it's uh, collect underpants, step two, blank, and then step three is profit. His is like, you know, uh, get the money back for Casino Royale, step two, pay back Abano, step three, uh, continue weeping blood. (laughs) Right. Well, I mean, I, I appreciated how sort of realistic his motivations were in as much as I think they this, they talked about the reason why he needed this money was to go see an ears, nose, and throat doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Take care of the inhaler, the blood. He should probably go to the ear doctor that Blofeld saw. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> and maybe the nose one that Kissy did because she looks like a pig, right? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> There's no throat jokes. I can't think of any. <laughs> I believe in an earlier draft of the script, he was meant to cry milk, <laughs> but they changed it to blood. So oh, Caroline, that would be really sexual. <laughs> Caroline's got her crush on uh, Lashif. Yes. On our side of things, we got Solange, who was in 007 in New York, I think is the where they got the name from. And we got Vesper Lynn. Now, we can talk a lot more about Vesper, but Solange, so damn sexy in that scene, uh, where you know, the scene where she's, you know, getting ready to have sex with Bond, and she says a great line in there. She's just like, you know, uh, I'm getting a little worried that you might just want to sleep with me to get some information. And he's like, well, how worried? And she's like, not enough to stop. <laughs> she's but one she, hot piece of ass. She <laughs> is like... Oh man, it's great! Like the the two things that I like the best about her, actually, and it's two like just odd things about her. But uh, when she walks over to Demetrios and uh, she kisses him, and he says, "Like if that was for good luck, you're two hours late or whatever," and she just puts her head down, just like, oh, man, like she's so cute when she does that, and she does the same thing with uh, Bond when the phone call happens, and she just puts her chin on him and just kind of like, oh my god, my fucking pain in the ass husband. I am into Solange. I think she's great. Do you remember uh, any specific things out of Solange that you were into, Alex? The whole package. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I think that we can kind of move on unless there's anything that stands out for you, uh, Caroline, on Solange. (laughs) No, I liked her. I liked that she was cheating on her crappy husband. I feel like that was really 
um, the chemistry was really hot. So yeah, she yeah she was really hot. I love it. And she gets killed. There's the girlfriend death thing I'm talking about. Right. Yeah. Now Vesper, I buy their relationship more than I buy Bond and Tracy. Mm, yeah. Well, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that Vesper is so much hotter. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> She's gorgeous. Like, God, that the scene with the uh, the purple dress, and he says, "Like, I need you to come out here and just kind of like distract people." My God, come on. Can I just mention one thing? I think she's really hot, and I've been having, like, a girl crush on her for years now. But she has no ass. And I just noticed that because I was re-watching it today, because it was the first movie that I rewatched for this, and I was like, okay, maybe I don't remember anything. So I was rewatching it, and it made me really upset that she had no ass. I don't know. But she's still really hot, and she looks really good in every single scene she she's in especially when she's in the shower with him that's a weird scene what do you guys think about that because she says it feels like there's blood on her fingers and she can't get it off because it's her first death that she's witnessed and bond sucks on her fingers yeah huh that's yeah i love it (laughs) i get the whole like she wants to take a shower to wash it off and bond gets in the shower and holds her and like spoons her and stuff like that and asks if she's cold and stuff but why is he licking her fingers because that's hot because that's what you want a man to do to lick your bloody fingers yes (laughs) (laughs) well there you have it (laughs) all you single guys listening here if you want to get a girl like caroline if she's got blood on her fingers just volunteer to lick them off The path straight to my heart. (laughs) I really like that scene, but another scene that I really like when it comes to Vesper is the scene where they're uh, going back and forth about the the dinner jacket and the dinner jacket. You know, she says, like, I need you to be able to tell the difference between it. And she's just putting on her makeup and she looks less glamorous than she does in some of the other things. But I like that. It's something different. We don't see Bond girls without makeup. I mean, she's clearly wearing makeup. Right. But, I was just going to say, I mean, yeah. come on now. <laughs> uh, that scene, though, stands out to me. But even more than that, though, my favorite scene probably in the whole movie is the train car, I think it is, that they're in, where they introduce each other. And they're going back and forth about the idea that, like, Vesper says, you know what, like, you must be uh, an orphan. And Bond says the same thing about her. And... She points out, like, well, you've probably got a Rolex. And he's like, oh, it's an Omega, you know? <laughs> and I love the line, too. She says, like, after they go back and forth about that stuff, and she goes, how was your lamb? And he goes, skewered. One sympathizes. That's <laughs> 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 one of the few times you see him actually joke around and he laughs. And I love that scene. Uh, it's a good introduction to those characters, I think. It, the, one of the few times that Bond is Bond, you know? Uh, trying to think of what that other scene was. Uh, there's another one that stands out for me with Vesper. Oh, it's um when they're goofing around in the car a little bit, and Bond says, "My name's Arlington Beach, and you're Stephanie Broadchester." <laughs> <laughs> and she's just like, "What?" And he's like, "No, no you got to trust me on this." <laughs> Alex, what do you think about Vesper? Is she the character that really like that's that hits home more than Tracy, and it's she's worth for movies being talked about 
I don't know. I mean, you know I'm partial to Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Vesper's definitely, like, near the top of my list of Bond girls, though. But I'm not sure that I was entirely sold on, on their relationship. Any particular reason why? I don't know. I mean, like, you tell me. Did you feel like there was a lot of chemistry between the two actors, between um, Daniel Craig and Eva Green? Not as much as I think some of the other Bonds might have had. I think Brosnan and her would have gotten along really well. I mean, yeah, and that it sort of distanced me. I mean, not distanced me, but like it was it was kind of tough at some point to buy their relationship. They didn't seem to sort of have the chemistry on screen that would make it seem realistic. Then again, maybe that plays into the fact that the last thing we hear him talk about when it comes to Vesper, at least in this movie, he says, the bitch is dead. Oof. That's biting. Ow. You know, he, you, you know, you need any time to move on? Why would I need to move on? The bitch is dead. But then he clearly, you know, he keeps that, that torch for her. What do you think about that, Caroline? Is that, like, too mean? <laughs> um, I mean, what I got from it was that he was just, you know, he, as, like, being an, a secret agent and being an assassin, he needs to build up this wall, and he can't really let his guard down, because if he does, he's going to get hurt or killed, even. So I feel like he kind of just, based on his training almost, he has to like do what he what what he can do and say aloud something that to almost like to convince himself that he's stronger than whatever he's feeling, and then he can just like move on. I didn't get like he was just being mean. It was just more. I, mean, I made me feel sorry for him because I just felt that he was just trying to convince himself that he could, he was just fine. Whatever. Gadgets in action. There's the airport scene, the, the nice little thing where he clips the bomb to the guy and smiles when he blows up. <laughs> we got the, what I think is one of the coolest part, that knife scene. It's just very simple, back and forth, and just who's going to stab each other. Parkour scene at the beginning of it. Eh, I don't know about that. Yeah. I do kind of like how, though, he's just, uh, he catches the gun and chucks it at the other guy. <laughs> he smacks him in the head. Uh, my favorite action scene probably would have to be the stairwell fight. And I like how calm it is afterward. Like, he just killed somebody. And there's no music that really pinpoints it or whatever, but he just tells her, like, go tell Mathis I'm hiding the bodies here. And then he just drinks to get that out of his mind, kind of. Really dark. Yeah. I love it. Any thoughts on the action, Alex? Like you said, that dark character, I mean, Daniel Craig comes out swinging as Bond, and his action sequences set the tone we're going to see for the rest of his films. Unapologetic about using violence. What do you guys think about the, the car flip? Because we had the car stunt in Man with the Golden Gun, and then in this one the car flips over, and it's like, how the hell did Bond survive? <laughs> His insurance rates must be sky high. <laughs> <laughs> well, he should have been wearing that uh, brace for the insurance people. <laughs> exactly, exactly. No fraud here. One of our only gadgets in this whole movie is that med kit in the car, and that's my real downside of this film. There's no gadgets. 
That is true. I mean, he's getting by on his wits. Yeah, but he should have had something, you know? Like, just a watch, maybe. Some dentine toothpaste. (laughs) Some crest. Milton Crest toothpaste. (laughs) Evidently, that's where that name came from. Crest toothpaste. (laughs) (laughs) The last thing I want to bring up here is the theme music and the score and stuff like that. Um, You Know My Name by Chris Cornell. A little more on the rock side of things. I like the song on its own, but I'm not digging it for a Bond theme. Me neither. Forgettable. I liked it. I feel like he complimented the, that um, sequence really well. I really, I, I really liked it. But I'm kind of biased when it comes to like rock, kind of rock music. So maybe it's just personal preference. See, I like it in the score more than I do as the theme. There's a couple parts in there where they they play it. One of them is when Bond's quote unquote on vacation. And it's this real sweeping version of it, and I like that a lot. But I like there. This is alternative thing uh, theme that somebody put out there, and it never never got picked. Of course, it's not even like on the soundtrack or anything. But um, they actually called their alternate theme Casino Royale, and they worked it into the lyrics and stuff. And some of the lyrics are really good. It's like Casino Royale. It's like heaven and hell. If you're under its spell, um, something 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 about like. Uh, Basically, like the the theme that they wrote was about like the one of the lyrics is because the the cards will choose who lives and who dies, yeah. and it's a whole idea of like you can gamble on your life and you never know what's going to happen because the dealer's in charge, kind of a thing. And I was like, damn it, that should be the theme. Yeah, that is really good. Not Chris Cornell being like, you all know James Bond, like you know. <laughs> <they're> like, oh, <laughs> I love that version, actually, Tony. <laughs> that one should be the main theme. <laughs> one note I have, though, that I'm going to end my little section on here. The end theme that plays in the credits. Best rendition of the Bond theme ever. That's a tall, uh, bold statement there. Go back and listen to it. I'll, I will fight that. Uh, up against any other version of the Bond theme. The Dr. No one, the uh, Moby remix, (laughs) (laughs) any of them. I think that the very end of this, you know, he gets the thing out and he's, uh, he shoots Mr. White and then it's like, it's Bond, James Bond. Then you just got that. It's so good. Like uh, I can listen to that one over and over again. That's fantastic. Good classic version of the Bond theme, you know, no weird pop stuff in there, no like disco-y things, just orchestra. God, I love that one. Um, so let's round this out here. Casino Royale, your final thoughts, your zero to ten ranking, and anything else you guys want to put out there, Caroline. Um, loved it. Uh, I love Daniel Craig. Haha. <laughs> Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mads Milkison, or however you say his name, I love him too. So, oh, and oh, ah, can I just say that I really love the torture scene? Oh yeah, the torture scene where that probably explains why Bond never has any kids. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. 
<laughs> good line of the, uh, now the world's going to know that you died scratching my balls. <laughs> Um, but I love that Georgia scene so much. Um, also loved when Bond has to clean himself off, uh, when he's, um, in between games and he's all bloody because he just fought those guys and he's, that was really hot too. Uh, yeah. You also probably like the, uh, the Dr. No coming out of the water scene, right? <laughs> and the, um... The scene where he busts through a wall. I love that one, too. I love whenever he breaks me. <laughs> I have issues. Um, yeah, I really, 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 really like this movie. So what would you give it out of ten? Oh, um... Nine and a half. Mm. Alex, what do you think? I'd give it a 7 out of 10. I think overall it's a good film. I have a couple small criticisms. Like I said, the length. It's not so long that it would make me cry blood. But I <laughs> think and Would you cry milk over it? I might shed a few milky tears. <laughs> a little low-fat milk? We're going to tie back in. From- <laughs> <laughs> 2%. I'm giving it an 8 out of 10 on par with License to Kill. I think that the negatives of License to Kill are brought uh, and the positives here and kind of the opposite for the two of those kind of things. So really those two, I mean, I will recommend to anybody if they say they want to get into the Bond series, I tell them watch Goldeneye and then watch Casino Royale and then watch License to Kill. And those are the three movies that I kind of go to. And then I kind of go back to From Russia With Love as one of my like my go-to ones. I think that's a, a good era for that, the Sean Connery stuff. But... I love the movie. I think it's one of the best Bond films out there. One of the most easily accessible ones, too. And unfortunately, it got followed up by a piece of crap. But, yeah, you know, we've talked about some of the other crappier ones here, too. So, lots of stuff that we talked about here for the James Bond film franchise. Obviously, we didn't even scratch the surface when it came to the Bond films. Normally, on the movie club, we knock out every movie out of a list. Couldn't do that for this one. We're not doing 20-something movies. But if you really enjoyed this and you want to hear more of our opinions about James Bond stuff in the future, make sure you leave your comments below and tell us that you want to hear some different stuff. Maybe we'll do some more commentaries. Maybe we'll do a couple more movie review points and stuff like that. Some lists about like our favorite gadgets or our favorite Bond girls or whatever the case may be. Um, anything you want to do with that, you know, hit us up and tell us what you think about all these different movies too. Make sure you hit that subscribe button, you give us a like, a follow, a favorite, whatever it is on all these different social media platforms and stuff. That's going to do us in for the movie club stuff, but we do have one thing left to take care of, and those are the plugs. Caroline, throw some promotional stuff out there. Sure. Everybody, make sure you always check Fanboys Anonymous, obviously, uh, and also check out my website, creepycaroline.bigcartel.com. Alex, anything you want to promote? You know, I, I've got to, I've got to create some stuff to promote down here. I got nothing. You want to take some of them off my uh, list of shit to do? <laughs> uh, always check out Fanboys Anonymous. Check out our Golden Icon. What we we're talking about here, and uh, hopefully, we do another one soon. All right, guys. All my plugs are pretty self-explanatory. Go to Fanboys. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, Next month, we are going to be talking about the Star Wars film, so another six-movie edition of the movie club. 
because that's going to be before Episode 7 comes out. So if you're interested in the Star Wars stuff, you got to start bookmarking this because that's going to be coming up over the next couple of weeks. There's not too much time left before that movie comes out, so I'm excited as fuck about that. That'll leave us in for Episode 20. Thank you all for listening. On behalf of Alex Grimley and Caroline Oliveira, I am Tony Mango, and I'm a fanboy. See you next time, everybody. Keep on watching movies. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. I'm too old for this. Good day, sir! You stay classy, San Diego. Rose? Well, we're going, we don't need Rose. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I'm finished. That'll do, people. That'll go. Hasta la vista, baby. Hey, everybody! We're all gonna get late! <laughs> You're still here? It's over. Go home.